There is no better place. It's time to talk. The only way to get anything done in Cork is to the internet. That's a Cork threat at this stage, I think. <laughs> the Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. I just love Cork people. Conversation that matters. That uh, lorry that came into Rosslare Port earlier in the week had uh, 14 people on it and the tabloids this morning say that the only re- reason they su- uh, su- survived in the refrigerated unit is they cut a hole in it. They cut a hole in the trailer apparently. Um, 14 of them lucky to be alive. Saved from lorry tomb is a front page of making the mirror this morning. In fact, in the inside pages of the papers this morning they say that the 14 of them didn't even know what country they were going to and didn't even know they were in Ireland. Sad enough, isn't it? Uh, two young girls uh, rescued after more than, uh, among the others, the others were adult male and adult females, 26 hours inside. In. And now the Gardaí are, are hunting the traffickers. It's a front page of making the mirrors today. The mail this morning is leading with uh, others who uh, choose and wish to come into the country. Um, and where do they live? And where are they going to be provided with accommodation? Um, uh, I mean, it's it's an unanswerable question at this stage because there ain't nowhere left. So much so now that they're uh, playing jiggery-pokery with the different buildings. Uh, the latest one now, and they won't admit that it's a U-turn, but it damn sure is. It's the second U-turn on accommodation, which was originally earmarked for male asylum seekers. It's to be International Protection Order males. Uh, the first one where they did U-turn was in Ballon Robe. Um, there was supposed to be 50 males go in there and they changed their mind on that and said it will now prioritise families. They've just gone and done the same in Carlo now with the former friary uh, by all accounts and uh, a lot of it has to do of course with people objecting and protesting. So second U-turn on housing for male refugees is the front page we're making in the mail today. Um, in other stories regarding numbers um, I think it's quite interesting. The RSA wins no matter what happens whether you uh, take a driving test or not because they make around about a half a million from people who don't show up uh, for their driving test. But did you know there still exists a loophole uh, where regulations currently allow drivers to renew learner permits, I don't know, maybe multiple times, by simply applying uh, for um, uh, a test um, but not showing up. Uh, and on that basis, you can then just renew your existing um, learner permit. I, I don't know why people would want to continually just renew driving permits, uh, learner permits. Is, is it a fear of the test or, or what? Um, you know, it's, it must be a fear uh, of doing the test and a fear of failure uh, because um, it's a much better thing to have a full driving licence, isn't it? And imagine it costs you less with regards to your insurance. story that Kelly mentioned there earlier on is a lovely story in the examiner this morning where the uh, well-known Cork architect Hugh Wallace is um, inside in one of the vandalised phone boxes on Oliver Plunkett Street and when I say vandalised they are totally and utterly destroyed you know the ones they're the the, the steel and, and glass ones um, owned by Aircom wrecked um, but uh, they're are other ones, 15 in total across the city. And another five then in Ballancolig and Douglas and St. Luke's, up in St. Luke's Cross and on Cathedral Road and Shannon Street. And they're in pretty bad order. Uh, imagine, it's fair to say, none of them are working, that they are now defunct phone box. Who uses phone boxes anyway anymore? Everybody's got mobile phones, but go way back in the day. And of course, we had uh, the original old P&T phone boxes. Do you remember them? I don't know whether you were a dab hand at the tapping. He says we were great at the tapping when we were kids. Tap, tap, tap. You could tap out the number uh, from the top of the receiver, you know, on the little pins. Bum, bum, bum. Um, like if there was a zero and it was ten taps 
other than that then it was one for one and two taps for two and three taps for three and when you got up then uh, to the zero uh, it was ten taps but you could literally tap all over the world <laughs> you really could by tapping out the number on the top but anyway they're replacing a lot of them with digital equivalents digital pedals, pedestals I doubt if you'll be I don't know a moment of correction don't know whether you'll be able to make a phone call on them but you can certainly do an awful lot of different things I'll come back to it throughout the course of the morning with regards to the state of our phone boxes um, you often see phone boxes now being reinterpreted or, you know, reused for new things, including defibrillator storage units, which is pretty good thing. So a lovely story <coughs> making the independent today uh, of Anne O'Donovan from Colosh to Colum and Balancholic. She's at the RDS in Dublin yesterday and demonstrated she's only gone and developed her own app. She's 17 years old, Colosh to Colum and Balancholic. She's developed her own app and she demonstrated it yesterday. It's a child grooming detection app and she was at the 2024 BT Young Scientist Exhibition and we'll come back to that story and hopefully we'll get a link to Anne who's up in Dublin with schoolmates and with uh, uh, teachers uh, from Balancholic. We now are the third in the world with regards to the most powerful passports. I always thought that the best passport in the world was an Irish passport. It ain't so. Apparently the most powerful passports, but you can interpret whatever you want with regards to what is a powerful passport. I suppose it maybe has to do with how many destinations you can get into. Uh, visa-free, I suppose. Visa-free travel. But we're not the most popular or powerful because France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Singapore, Spain uh, tied number one for that. Finland, South Korea and Sweden tied number two. And then we tie in third place with Austria, Denmark and the Netherlands. And it goes all the way down the list, uh, way down. Um, and at the end of the spectrum, Afghanistan has the least powerful passport. Passport. It's only 28 destinations you can get into on an Afghani passport. Then there's another story of a man who um, was um, uh, making the news because of allegations that uh, he was not the father of a baby born to a non-national um, where they then applied for um, uh, su- successful applications for birth certs and passports uh, for the infant. So that's playing out in the courts at the moment. Liam Healan has the court reports. But we are one of the easiest countries in the world to actually get citizenship. It's one of the easiest European countries to become a citizen by all accounts. We we pretty much top the list. We're not we're not at the top, but we're sixth easiest, with Sweden being the easiest country to get citizenship. And they do the entire list on that with regards to the most popular countries that people would like to come to. And we're, we're right up there with that. And we can probably see that with the amount of people wishing to come into us, God Almighty, up to and including the back of Arctic trucks and what have you. Um, I see that in spite of uh, Ryan Tuberty heading off to the UK and good luck to him, Artie, you have an awful problems trying to fill the gap of the nine o'clock show. They're struggling to find a new 9am presenter by all accounts. I, I, I don't know. I think I think at this stage they have well and truly made their mind up whoever that person is going to be and they're going to make some kind of an announcement later in the week. Did they drag their feet on it? Of course they did. That gig should have been filled a long, long time ago. But maybe RT do things much, much slower. In fact, we know they do things much, much slower. One thing that's on the upkeep, on the uptake though, unfortunately, or on the increase, is all of these pesky viruses across Across the winter season, and we're right in the middle of it now. And unfortunately, there's been uh, an expected seasonal rise in COVID 19 cases, as well as other. Uh, you know, viruses and issues regarding uh, people who, um, you know, come down with colds and, and flus and other stuff like that. So it's a crappy flu year, according to the Sun. Flu numbers are up, COVID numbers are up, and we have healthcare officials now saying 
experts in emergency medicine saying that we need to bring back masks. Uh, I, I think my understanding of this is masks going into and out of all hospitals, not getting on buses or walking in and out of restaurants or going to work with a mask on. Not yet anyway, uh, but certainly in Spain, they have brought back mandatory mask wearing for everybody in hospitals. There's a call for that to happen as well here. Papers also talk today uh, about a, a very interesting case in the UK that I read in uh, the uh, online edition of The Telegraph. It's a, it's a social worker who is suspended because of her belief that there are two sexes. She believes that uh, you were born either male or female. She was suspended um, and uh, sanctioned by the workplace. Um, And the whole thing then really affected her health and her well-being. Um, But recently, um, she had that reversed. And she's delighted that it was. This all started when she shared a petition online um, to save women's sports. And it also went on to talk about that it was wrong to allow male prisoners who identify as females into women's prisons. So she had 20 years working as a social worker, suspended for a year, then brought to an employment tribunal claim against both bodies. And she won it ultimately uh, on Tuesday. And she, um, she said there are two sexes, male and female, and that a person cannot change their sex. Now, I think it might be fair enough to say and have the belief because you are entitled to your own belief, for God's sake, to say, and she's not saying this, but I'm, I'm suggesting maybe that an awful lot of people would believe that maybe there are only two biological sexes, but you can change your gender. Do you know what I mean? But she said it's a huge relief to be completely vindicated after all of this. I mean, it's an horrendous experience for Betty to go through that you should be entitled to be able to say, well, in my belief, you're either born male or female, that there aren't only two sexes. How you interpret your sex later in life or your gender later in life is a different story entirely. So you went through the horrors for 12 months. Papers also this morning talk about, um, you know, we're looking at the uh, gender-related issues or sex-related issues. It's a big problem with regards to people, uh, particularly girls, one in ten girls who are now taking diet pills or laxatives. It's an interesting statistic in Ireland. They say one in ten girls, and a lot of them unfortunately teenage, are taking diet pills, weight loss supplements or laxatives. And interestingly, the the equivalent figure for boys is one in 20. So twice as many girls. Papers also have a lot of other related issues to weight and body image, including the fact that there's research saying that depression piles on the pounds if you're overweight. Sometimes I think there, some of this research is quite nonsensical because I think we all know, um, and we even heard it last week uh, talking with people with regards to weight-related issues, that if you put on weight, you do get stuck in a rut and it does affect you mentally as well as physically. It's human nature really, isn't it? That the heavier you get, the more down you get about it because you literally are stuck in a rut. But I don't know how many of you try and convince your children to eat greens and eat vegetables. I think it's a bad gig for kids who are constantly being harassed into eating their veg because you don't you don't harass adults into eating their vegetables. I think the secret is to find vegetables that they actually like. Uh, and for me, um, I mean, I, I would take particular umbrage if an adult across the table with me was harassing me to eat broccoli and carrots because I detest broccoli and carrots. But apparently one way of getting your children to eat your green, their greens, their vegetables, is, you know, assuming you're having dinner around the table with them, is you eat your broccoli and you eat your carrots with a big beaming grinning smile on your face, even if you don't like it. Hasn't the world gone absolutely mad? So you grinning as an adult will help your children to eat their veg. 
I pass it on for what it's worth. But bear in mind that sometimes the advertising with food does not tell you the true story. We were chatting about it at home last night because we came across an article while we were uh, just chatting with regards to, say, yogurt bowls versus chocolate bars. You, you may not know this, but Pret have a range of um, yogurt bowls that have apple in them or supposedly apple or muesli or the five berry bowl now there unfortunately a lot of the some of the fruit in it is fresh but a lot of the fruit in them is actually dried fruit so you might be interested to know that there is uh, more sugar in the pret yogurt bowls than there would be in a full size mars bar I'm not suggesting that people should give up the yogurt and the and the fruit bowls and have a Mars bar, but there's less fat in the Mars bar than there is in the in the in the yogurt bowls. And then one way we talk about people with their moods down or, you know, going through the, the winter blues or might have issues with regards to whatever's going on in your life. One way I think we all do it and I've been doing it a lot recently since my father passed away and you know we're working on going through the house and sorting things out and some of it is quite sad as you can imagine if you've been through it yourself but the amount of photo albums that I found at the house in Beaumont my my old family home in Beaumont was just the amount of things that my father kept photographs black and white going all the way back like I mean you're talking about to the 1910, 1915, 1920 to the people that were even before him um, but the, I only mention that because um, you know our, our parents and and, and uh, Imagine probably can relate to this. They pretty much kept everything, didn't they? And a lot of it, I didn't even realise how much was being kept until I started to go through things at home and doing, you know, the old deep dive. But apparently people love going through old photographs um, and they find that it lifts their spirits. I, I think that, that I think that's true in some cases, but some of them can be quite sad also when you look back at them and you, you see photographs of times and you're thinking, oh my God, that was so nice or oh my God, it's so sad that he's gone or she's gone or your grandparents are gone. But apparently they say that the old pics and the old albums lift people's spirits and I pass that on for what it's worth. And I, I will come back to other stories across the morning, but does anybody think at a time when we're trying to encourage people to communicate more, communicate more, like get your head out of the phones, does anybody think that the price of a postage stamp has gone absolutely bammy? I mean, there was only a, an increase there. Uh, wasn't it only, like, the back end of last year? The firm had gone up to 135. Now it's gone up to 140. I mean, what in the name of God is it that you, to, to, to post a letter, a bog-standard letter, should cost you €1.40? They don't even put the price on the stamp anymore now, you know? They're kind of blank stamps. But don't you think that to post a letter, really, should be no more than a euro? Full stop. What do you think? Text 0868104106. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Well, back to that story. It's at the front of the Independent this morning. It is Anne O'Donovan from Galoshta Cullum in Balancholic uh, at the RDS as we speak. And these are the innovators of tomorrow. The innovators of our future are up there at the moment at the Young Scientist and Technology Exhibition. And she's gone and developed a child grooming detection app. Now, it's still at concept stage, obviously. She's going to need funding to roll this out. But I hope that that next stage will be met and she'll get over that hurdle. But she stepped out of the exhibition for a quick chat this morning. Anne, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I want to say well done. Congratulations, representing your school as well as you have. Um, What are you? Are you a fifth year or a sixth year student, Anne? Oh, I'm fifth year. Okay. So you've developed this app, right? God knows we need it because, as you probably would agree, the online world is like the Wild West, right? How does it work? Well, basically, Neil, messages that are being received by the child are being taken and sent to ChatGPT. 
and ChatGPT is going to is checking to see how likely it is that a groomer talking to this child with certain context being that a child has received it from someone on the internet and then it returns at kind of a danger level depending on how likely it thinks that it is a groomer and this danger level sets off an alert or if it's safe it just let it keep going. Okay, and yes. to whom does the alert go? Let's say ChatGPT picks up, uh, as you say, inappropriate comments or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, a conversation. Who gets the alert? So both the child and the parents get the alert because I feel that the child really needs to be able to learn when they are in danger themselves rather than their parents first thing being like, get off your phone. So there's an avatar up on the screen and that changes and hopefully if I could ever... I get the funding to make this an app it would be animated and it would wave at them and the child would get a notification and the hair changes colour so if it's a very dangerous conversation the hair changes red and it starts to look sad the parent also gets a notification on their phone as well however to tell them that their child is in danger and that they need to go and find them so it's both of them really That is absolutely fantastic does nothing like that exist heretofore no? No, no, that's the, that's the innovation of this project. Nothing like this exists. I feel that most of these apps, they exist to help parents, but they kind of forget that the child needs to learn how to protect themselves as well. So my main part was helping children to be able to understand this. Okay, and is it from your own experience of growing up? You're, you're 17 now. Uh, when, when, when did you get your first mobile phone, I wonder, Anne? Oh, I was much older than most people. I was 13 when I got my first phone. And um, I suppose I was a bit unexperienced when I first got it, really. I didn't know much about the social media or anything, just what my friends had told me. And so, yeah, when, you say, when you say, you know, you, you came to mobile phones late, was, was that at the request and the guidance of your parents that you, you were maybe... Like, tell me about the age of your pals when they got their phone. Oh, my friends, they would have been about second class, so nine, ten... But my parents, yeah, my parents wanted to keep me away from social media and things like that till I was a bit older. And I thought 13 was a good age, but at the same time, I didn't feel fully prepared either. Okay. I think that's partly because, yeah. How did you feel about those, say, three years, the average, say, maybe two or three years when you didn't have a phone and all of your pals did? Did you feel left out? Oh, definitely, especially with social media. I mean, at the time, Snapchat and TikTok were becoming really, really popular. And Instagram as well was popular then at the time. Yeah. And I just, I didn't know any of these trends or famous people they were talking about. And I felt, I felt very left out. Yeah. I mean, did it sadden you, like? Sorry? Did it sadden you not to be part of that world at the, at the age when your other pals were? It did a bit, if I'm being honest with you. I did feel very left out when they were having these conversations that I couldn't participate in. So, yeah. Yeah. But in, in hindsight, do you think your parents were right? Oh, absolutely. I think definitely 9, 10 is too young. I feel maybe like 11, 12 is definitely the right age to be getting an actual phone. Like iPads, tablets, yeah, go for it. But phone, I think it's different. Good stuff. Okay, now, when you did get your phone, because this is what motivated you ultimately to come up with this this app, mm. d- d- you know, you, you talk about, um, you know, grooming. Um, so you got your phone and then... Where what what kind of what kind of apps and platforms would be potentially used to groom a child? Somebody pretending to be a child, but actually a, a, a very dangerous adult. Well, a lot of social media apps these days are very aware of the situation. Most apps don't let you sign up until you're 13, like Instagram and TikTok. 
and all of those. I think the apps that mainly got me was Instagram and sometimes Snapchat, but not not as often. It was more of uh, emails is what I got a lot. But I think most social media apps are aware there are certain ones that have taken a lot of steps. Like TikTok, for example, has taken a lot of steps to prevent this sort of thing. But in, I was reading in The Independent this morning that you said even at the young age of when you got your first phone, you did, and I think you just acknowledged there, you did get adults yeah. messaging you asking really invasive questions. Um, yeah. you, but but were you savvy enough to, to cotton on to that? Oh, yeah. I um, One thing that I was very prepared for was people messaging me. My parents did a great job in helping me to understand what I had to do at that point. But I did feel a bit less... I feel like I'd let them down, in a way, when I did get those messages. So I got a lot of emails from people. I'm not 100% sure how they got my email, but it was mainly emails asking me questions and just suggesting that I might do things. Yes. I never replied to any of them. Yes. I knew that that was a no-no, but I did. I got them for a very long time okay. and it Let's, led me to getting a new Google account. So You changed accounts and everything. Okay, okay. I'm just mm-hmm. going to leave that as inappropriate messaging. So how, how, yeah. did you, like, how did you go about developing this kind of, kind of software? You, you obviously are very sharp in that area, right? Yeah, um, thank you. I took a lot of time trying to learn how to code because that was the main thing that I needed to be able to do to do this project. And that, that took a while. I won't lie to you there. But um, <laughs> basically, um, it did take me some time to figure out how to do it because obviously this has never been done before, so there's no steps online on yep. how to do it. But um, after coming up with the initial process and how I was going to attempt it, like when I was looking at keywords and phrases in the beginning and then obviously trying out ChatGPT like everybody else on the planet and I found that it was able to detect these things as well so when I realised that I tried to find a way to get the code for ChatGPT and I managed to be able to do that and then it was just all about integrating it into an app using Python that so it was amazing. How long did it take you until you're 17 now when you start working on this? It's an yeah. incredible achievement the actual project, I started when I was 15, so 2022, but two years ago. But the coding, I was at BT last year as well, and I developed an algorithm then. But um, the judges, they were really kind, very positive feedback, and they recommended that I try to make an app. So I decided to come back this year, and I made an app. And between then and now, ChatGPT came around. So ChatGPT is the, probably the newest innovation in this app. Well done. Well done for sticking with it. Now, the next stage, of course, is, is, is what? Um, to, to, to try and get funding, is it? Yeah, if I was to carry on with this project, there would definitely be funding. I mean, I need to talk to a lot of different businesses and companies as well. I did liaison with some companies while working on this project. In particular, I worked on code with Johnson & Johnson. But... Um, Definitely, I need to talk to Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all of those big companies. And I need to get funding to really bring it into, you know. Or somebody with venture capital, somebody who might like to invest in your idea. You know, that's what yeah, that's what exactly. happens. You know, seed funding a lot of the time. An awful lot of people keen to invest in new tech like this. So what's the future going to be mm-hmm. like for you? Is this your area of choice career-wise? Yeah, definitely. I'd like to work with computers and developing things to help people with technology because I feel like it's definitely something that we haven't really 
come to terms with as a society yet and people are struggling to catch up. So definitely I think I'd like to work in this area. Yeah, okay. Well, good luck with that. You know, there, there, is, there is some news breaking over the last few days where they're suggesting that it mm-hmm. might be law that everybody who wants to do anything or sign up to anything would have to have a valid passport that they would have to upload really legit documentation and proof of ID. Um, that's probably mm. a step in the right direction, isn't it, to certainly keep our children safe, right? Yeah, definitely. Although I do feel that you'd be like wondering who would be taking that information. Would it be the social media like companies or would it be the government who would be like looking after all of this? Because we're after saying to treat companies, major companies, like they are countries when they aren't. I feel that's the only thing that I have about yeah, that. Yeah, people's people's data, you mean, people's personal information. Yeah. Uh, well, it, exactly. it's certainly it's certainly being proposed that this should happen for pornography. I don't know that they'd want to do mm. it for, for everything else. So I, I think that, uh, you know, it's just way too accessible, certainly to minors. But your, but your app probably would control that as well, wouldn't it? Inappropriate mm, yes, content. I would think, yeah, uh, there is a lot of things that I would think that we need to be able to filter away from children. Although I don't want to restrict them too much. That was part of the reason I did a massive survey on children in 2022 to see whether they would use my app. And I found, well, first of all, I found that two in five children in Ireland have spoken to strangers online as of 2022. But I also found that they didn't want any software that was really invasive and too controlling. And that kind of spurred them to get around it. Yeah, but I know yeah. myself, I tried to get around that sort of stuff when I was that age. So, um, yeah, but... Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We're trying to keep them safer. Would be okay. my goal. Okay, okay. You are you enjoying the? Are you enjoying the uh, the young scientist exhibition? It's on again today. Are you enjoying it? No, I love the bus up here. That's part of the reason I'm back. I love being up here. It's brilliant. You meet so many people, and it's it's brilliant. I love it. Okay. Well, you're a credit to yourself and your family and your school. It's good to catch up. We'll keep an eye on things as they move forward as you move it from stage to stage, Anne. But congratulations and thanks for taking the call. Hey, thank you so much. It was lovely talking to you. You too. All the best. Bye. Bye. Anna Donovan from the in Ballancolic at the RDS for the Young Scientist and Technology Exhibition. It's very important to speak with people of that age and of that generation because they are, of course, the young innovators of the future. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. I want to catch up with uh, texts and, and emails over the past couple of, of days and calls as well after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. And from yesterday, we're talking about those uh, misfortunate uh, migrants coming into Ross Lair. Um, Vietnamese, Turkish and Kurdish, Neil, none of them uh, affected or afflicted by war. These people cross many European countries to get here via Belgium in this case the Dublin Convention says that people should seek asylum in their first country of arrival. This is not a myth and Leo wants you to believe the question really is why did they cross Europe to get to Ireland says John I have no idea uh, a better life I suppose a better life uh, and I was saying this morning reading in the papers they didn't even know that Ireland was their final destination they pay gangs to get them to Europe. Uh, refugees know that once they get into Ireland they're in then each refugee can bring in 
another seven members who also get housed. In the meantime, another Irishman died on the streets of Dublin, frozen to death, I suppose. He's not the first and he won't be the last. Our government always seems to have more important issues and refugees know that Ireland has no deportations. You couldn't make this up. People are deported. They are uh, deported. I don't have... I remember reading the stat out on the air uh, before Christmas. Um, it's, not, it's not a huge amount, but people have gone through the process and ultimately after their appeals are, were lost, they have been uh, deported. Uh, you asked earlier why that poor soul who was found dead on the streets of Dublin wasn't all over the newspapers. Obviously, I suppose it was because he wasn't foreign. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I, I don't know whether you're right or wrong because I don't know the man's identification. Um, and then on Cabana from yesterday, so many people lost so much money and it really has affected so many different aspects of their life. People stung by Cabana should complain about the principles of the firm to the office director of corporate enforcement. It will stop them doing it again. Um, I don't know about that. We spoke to the receiver yesterday. A company that goes into receivership and then goes into liquidation, those involved in it can just carry on with a brand new company. It happens all the time. They just uh, start all over again. Um, and create another country, uh, company. Uh, Anthony says, uh, one thing that always puzzles me is regulation. When companies like this can just walk away without any backing up of funds before they receive payments from customers. Um, and um, Anthony makes the point that isn't it always the wealthiest creditor that gets looked after first, the taxman, while the ordinary people are left with the debt and can go and whistle in the wind. I got caught with um, um, another company in exactly the same way years ago. I was caught for 10 grand when the company involved went bust. Consumer Affairs Ireland were going to do an expose on the firm at the time, but didn't follow through uh, because the company went bust. But the hot tub that I got from this company didn't work from day one. The jets didn't work, neither did the lighting. I got a solicitor who couldn't do anything as the company folded. I ended up selling this hot tub to a guy for €200 Euro and he used it as a sunken pond. Um, so what you bought for ten grand, you ended up selling on as useless for €200 Euro scrap. I, I think there was probably a very good chance that that was a, a reconditioned hot tub, do you think, Richie? That it was never new, it was possibly done up to look like as if it was new, and that the pumps and the seals and everything and the jets were all completely and utterly worn. Um, on Another one then on uh, migrants, I have been sexually assaulted three times in my life, all by foreign men. Twice I was saved by Irish men and once by an Irish woman. I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm all about helping people, but something needs to be done to protect women in this country. I do not feel safe going for a walk or going out on a night out anymore. You may get a comment from an Irish man on a night out, but foreign men, I find, are now taking it to another level. They do not have respect for women and they look at us as if we are animals. Now, uh, people might be shouting and roaring and screaming that that's racist and what have you. This is a female's interpretation of the world that she now lives in. And then, um, with regards to a lot of talk about businesses in Cork, it's no wonder all the restaurants are closing down. They can't function uh, without cash. Every time you use a Visa card and tap, you're putting another nail in the coffin of the business because they have to pay a fee to the banks. Start using cash, people, to stop more businesses from closing. And then a final one. I spent 10 days in Nice in France once. Aer Lingus used to fly out of Cork many years ago. Most of the buildings there had over-the-shop living accommodation with balcony doors open and curtains blowing in the wind day and night. Restaurants were booming all around too. Why? Footfall. New key in Cornwall in some aspects could come to Patrick Street too if there was lots of tea rooms. Remember the green door in Cork? 
There's nothing like that around anymore. What's left to see now is takeaway, coffee and plastic type treats in wrappers. Thank God the Imperial is providing us with a great experience and the staff are amazing. Park and ride on the Cargrahan Road has come has to come and that will bring even more people into the city, more shoppers and people as well. Uh, well, certainly it's underutilised Cork City and going from bad to worse. A big response then uh, to issues involving the barber trade after my discussion with uh, the Baldy Barber earlier in the week and I'll come back to that. One of the big stories making the news the last few days is the state of Dublin uh, at the filthy, grimy streets and and alleyways and the amount of drug taking and destitution and people sleeping in doorways and what have you not unlike here but on a completely different level Jim was up there over the Christmas Jim good morning good morning um, was it over Christmas for a few days was it yes I spoke, I spoke I was there from the 23rd of December to the 27th with my partner we go every year you know because we have friends there and we meet up and you know, we stay in we stay in a hotel there on our four country to the no called Leonardo's hotel it was formerly uh Joy's Inn. But um I would imagine yeah. anything in and around no disrespect to the hotels, but anything in and around O'Connell, O'Connell Street or the streets off it are coming in for serious criticism criticism criticism. It's horrendous. It's absolutely horrendous. Now twelve months ago we had the conversation again, roughly around this time you and I on the radio. And since since the last time I spoke to you about this situation, it has got a one hundred times worse. Why? What did you see? Well, first of all, anyway, communication is definitely gone out the window. Neil, I was there for four days. We went to gift shops, we went to restaurants, we went to uh, one or two pubs. Uh, I'd say, without exaggeration, I spoke to five people for the four days in Dublin. It is completely overrun with farmers. You go into a gift shop, the doorman is a farmer, you'll be served by a, a farmer, and you leave there, you go into a pub, that's where, that's where I met a Dublin man. He was serving me, and thank God he was serving me. And I mean that now in a, a, a nice way, I'm not criticising anyone. But the communication with, with, with the people in... in in small shops, they haven't a clue what you're seeing, but the hand is out for the money. They, they know about the money, you know. But then we get we get to the, the worst part of all is the drug dealing. Um, that's completely out of control. Um, yes, there was Gary present because of what happened probably a month before that. They, they, they had to be visible on, on, on our kind of street just to, to, to keep the people at, at, at ease. But the one bellman that I spoke to, the one Irish bellman that I spoke to, he 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 walks he walks in the Madigan's Bell, to the now Collins Street, and there's a bus stop outside. That that's where the, the that pub, that's where the, the tourist buses pull up right. and the tourists the tourists get off. Now, just before Christmas, a week before Christmas. He observed two fellas that were sitting in, in, in the little, you know, the little seat near the outside. He observed two, they weren't, they weren't drinking anything, they weren't uh, having coffee or drinks or anything, but he, he just said he'd keep an eye on them. But the little green bus, probably from Cork, that pulled up outside the door, they left off about 25 people. And the driver gets out, obviously, you know, and he helps the people take the luggage out beside the bus. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. I've done it. And and when 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 he's when he's distracted by the the, the passengers, 
these two fellas made a beeline for funnels for the, the, the cases and took off. Literally was, stole luggage. Oh, they stole the luggage, yeah. They stole, they stole the luggage. Like, this man left the bear. I, I think he was brilliant, actually. He left the bear and caught one of them and got back luggage from this fella. Right. Now, he, he taught me the fella that took the, uh, took the, the, uh, the, the luggage wasn't Irish. Right. That's all he said to me. Right. Yeah. I, and I, I said to him, what, what did you do with me? He said, what could I do with me? He said, I don't know what I was doing. I, I was just looking to get the case back. And I, and I believe the person that, 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 you know, that lost the case, their own luggage, was Japanese. Okay. Um, Christmas morning, uh, you said you went out for Christmas a stroll morning. and there were yes. people Christmas. sleeping in their sleeping yes. bags, eh? Just, just outside the GPO, there was approximately 11 people sleeping there. Um, were you seeing them everywhere, it, it, like in doorways and alleyways? Oh, they were all over the But this was this was happening to watch. Like um, these these are not very old people at all, men men and women, not very old. But uh, I was directly across the road. My partner and I got directly across the road from the GPO, and this lady. Because the night before, the, just remember, remind people, on Christmas Eve, food and presents were given out to the homeless, weren't they? They were, they were indeed. They okay. were, it was, it was, uh, you know, it made, it made me feel good to see it happening. They were, they were getting presents by, by, uh, by homeless child. And then Christmas and morning, never, what did you see? Christmas morning, I have it on video. I have it on video. Um, this woman on the, uh, walking towards the homeless that was sheltered under the arch in the GPO, well, to, well to do, looked well to do, well dressed, but she was carrying a kind of a black plastic bag and a golden ring on it. It was a big bag. Now you could, you couldn't, you couldn't miss it. You couldn't miss it. But something taught me to keep an eye on, which I did. And as she approached the homeless who was still asleep now at this stage, because Dublin was absolutely freezing and it was wet for the four days I was there. But she opened the bag, Neil, and this I have it on video, man. She opened the bay and stole the selection boxes that belonged to the homeless. She walked along okay. and took each of the selection boxes as they slept. Took took the selection bags as they slept. Now, I don't know, you know, there's a new Garber station, kind of a Garber station come towards the office, information office, about 300 yards on the same side of the GPO that opened there just before Christmas. You might have heard the justice. No, I, I don't know about sure. that, but I, I clearly yeah. that's where you went to report it because that's the lowest of the low, I, right? I, I went down. I had to use the intercom to get in. And this big body guy comes out. He said, can I help you? And I just told him what I told you. I gave the description of the bag. I said, you can't miss the bag. I said, you want to be blind to me. Say, All right. He said, we'll get somebody up there straight away. But I noticed inside in the station, there was at least four, if not five, men sitting down and they had cups and sandwiches in front of the girls. I waited for 15 Not minutes. Not entitled to have a cup of tea and a sandwich or a break? Of course, I mean, they are. Of course, I, of course they are. You want them to go around hungry, is it? No, I didn't, I didn't say that at all. I didn't say that at all. There wasn't cider, I just said. But I waited 15 minutes and there was no girls went up to the GPO. Right, okay, well that's bad, yeah, yeah. Because that's, no, that's no, the lowest no. of the low, like that's lower than a snake's belly. That is, you'd hope to be karma that, that that woman would get a, um, um, you know, you know, some kind of karma back for doing that. Like, Christ Almighty, I, I, I visibly, visibly upset over it, and and like, 
even my partner and Margaret said to me, don't get involved because directly behind the woman, she was about 15 years, 20 years behind the woman, when she was doing this, two men stopped. Now, like Margaret said to me, they were probably her minders. So if I went over, God only knows what would have happened. Oh, that was the reason you didn't approach, there was two characters That's that were kind of... They were, and, and they, they, they look fairly rough now, these two fellas. Like I said, they, had, they were out having a scrape full the night before. But I'd honestly say that they were with her. That's my thinking, that they were with her for fear anybody accost her or, or pull her aside and tie hold or whatever. Robbing the homeless of their, of their simple Christmas gift of a selection box. Mother of God almighty, what are you going to do? But, but there's, there's, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like, don't even start about on getting video. on the dart or the Lewis. People are living, are living fear when they're on that, that they're going to be attacked or robbed, you know, because they're jammed up on top of each other. Like, they're, they're openly drug dealing on, on our Collins Street. Openly drug dealing, like. But you don't kid yourself. They're openly drug dealing in Cork. I mean, you walk up and down the Mall any day, and you see these very shady little dudes. Some of them sitting on the steps of the, you know, the 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 the, the, the different office buildings, um, and you can tell they're up to no good and they're dealing. I've seen deals go on on the Mall all of the time. People walking well, up, there's like, a bit I, of a chat. Like you walk down O'Connell Street any time of the day, and you know what, boy, you'll do five minutes sneezing. With the, you can the, 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 you can smell the weed is in the air, the weed, the smoke, the smoke is in the air. It's all over the place. Also, you, have, you, know you also have to wonder, you know, if she, if this woman was being watched by two of these burly, dodgy-looking characters, uh, maybe she was in fear herself, and she was being made to do this for fear that she might get a beating or that they might they might hurt her. Do you know what I mean? That they were I, I, pimping her out in I, that I, regard, kind of to rob. I think, I think, I think, was opportunity crime. That's what it was. Because she came prepared, she knew what was there. You know what I mean? But I, you know, like 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 Penny Dinners in, in, in Cork and things like that. The, the work the, these people are doing is it's amazing. But uh, Christmas Eve, like there, were, there was vans, there was there were three kitchens going around. If you know what I mean, there were additional food. Like to, to, that that was the that was the only good thing that I. But saw just to be, I haven't got much time left. Just to say, um, I don't know how much of this could be related to Cork. Some of it, I would imagine. You say that there was no Irish working. You couldn't have conversations with people, whether it was in pubs or restaurants or in shops. That they were from, uh, uh, you know, they were from other countries, but but they are here working, you know, they are here because the shops wouldn't be open without the staff behind the counters. I, I suppose the point I'm trying to make is that uh, we're we're slowly losing our identity. Okay, okay. This, okay. this country, that's the point I think I make. I, I, I bless me, God, God bless him for walking. The best looks him. God, I'm, I'm not saying that atheism. I'm just telling that we seem to be losing our, our identity. We 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 don't like. Uh, or the bearman taught me before I leave go. I know you're not. Uh, 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 yeah, just briefly. Yeah, go ahead. The, the, the bearman taught me, the, the man that went after, went after the, 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 the fellow that took the case, the bearman taught me, believe you me, he said, the right we had before Christmas, he said, that's only waiting to kick off. We know it is going to happen, he said. We know it's going to happen. We just don't know when. Okay, okay. All right, uh, what, Jim's experience in Dublin over the Christmas. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Get involved in that conversation. Text 0868 Back after 10. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Yeah, that social worker story I was telling you earlier on um, with regards to saying that she believed that there are only two sexes, got suspended for 12 months from her job, won her job back in a tribunal. Uh, morning, Neil. It's only common sense, isn't it? There is only male and female. If you want to change from a man to a woman, that's your choice. 
but it doesn't mean that you can have babies and you're not, in my eyes, a real woman. You're entitled to say that. That's your opinion. Um, the stamp issue. The current management of Unpost have zero interest in letter mail, Neil. The priority is parcels and online shopping. It's false advertising when they tell people the last days for posting at Christmas because in reality to guarantee your cards are delivered before Christmas, you'd have to post them in the first week of December. I was delivering a card once and it took a month to get into my hands for the delivery one month after it was posted from the UK. And I am a post person myself. Uh, The cost of a stamp is mental. It's just gone up now to one euro forty. No wonder less Christmas cards are being sent. When a friend of mine told me about virtual online stamps, I presumed they'd be cheaper, but no, they're even more expensive. It's two euro for a bog standard virtual stamp. So the online stamp is two euro and the physical liquid yourself is one euro forty. So you can buy a digital stamp on the OnPost app apparently and you get a twelve digit code which you write on your mail item in the corner where the stamp would normally be and you drop your mail into any postbox and then you'll even receive an email after your mail item has arrived at its destination like you know like Amazon do when you when you get a parcel it's coming today it's arrived that kind of thing uh, so you would think that digital would be cheaper wouldn't you because there's no production or printing or anything like that but no two euro for a digital stamp um, Jim is making me dread our trip to Dublin in February well it's a different city now it really and truly is any time I go up there I'm always shocked at how bad uh, I mean it's, it's, it's sad really because uh, you don't want it to be that way and you know there are so many lovely people there but yet you go around the, the city or many of the streets in the city and it's just awful to see uh, the amount of people who are living and, and begging and obviously everyone can see the effects of drugs on people as they as they walk around they're like, almost like skeletal mind you not too far behind them ourselves we need a serious conversation on migration when people are passing every country in Europe and climbing into containers and ships bound for Ireland this is referencing the people in the in the unit down in uh, when the Arctic with came into Rosslare. We need a referendum on migration and voting rights for Ukrainians and others. In 20 years' time, our population has grown by over a million people. We are making a rod for our children's backs. We cannot absorb these numbers without creating another situation like in Ukraine today. Our children, our children will be a minority. Our government is betraying the Irish people unlike any other European country. Don't we all come from somewhere, though? You know, if you go back generationally with regards to all of us, we're all from other people. I mean, my forebearers or forefathers all originally were French. And, um, you know, I mean, imagine if you trace back your own family roots over the course of 100 or 200 years. Where did they come from? Just saying. Uh, of course, the Gardaí are entitled to their breakfast. There's no need for your sarcasm, Neil, in the middle of that conversation. Okay. Being sarcastic. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106. And then lots from yesterday and indeed the day before. How am I doing time? I'll go back to the phone lines and I'll come back to text after the break. Time for another update, lads. You may well remember I've been following a story very closely. Not the Cabana story. Yes, we've been following that one very closely. But also Boyle Sports where Ray Savage put down a bet um, at Boyle Sports in Middleton and it ultimately ended up being paid out to somebody else in Grange. Now, it was a €100 Euro bet that was due to pay out €1,400. Euro. I think it was some form of, a, of an accumulator bet, if I remember correctly. Now, we've been back and forth with Boyle Sports on numerous occasions over the past few weeks, but I just wanted to know if... I'm trying to update Ray as best I can and see if he can update us. We've been in contact with Boyle Sports. We've been assured that there's a process 
progress is being made but they have said that Ray will have to chase the amount down himself as it's now in the hands of Angarda Shikona and I'll try and tease that out with Ray as we go through the conversation so Ray good morning Good morning, Neil. How are we? I'm uh, good. Uh, you're probably worn out with the back and forth on this one, for but it's it's a substantial amount of money. It's fourteen hundred euro. Can I can I ask you when? Just to remind us again, what day was that bet put down? It, it must be a couple of months ago now. Ah, uh, this is this is going back to the 26th of November. Like that's we're going on to week seven now. Like so. It's uh, taken a good chunk of time out of my life, like, so. Okay, okay, okay. So, uh, 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 there's little enough that I can tell you. I mean, we've had kind of conversations with, with Boyle Sports by phone and by email back and forth, um, but they're very, very slow to go on the record with anything because they're saying it really is a matter for you and the Garda Shikana. They say, we can't go into yeah, the like, details like, of the specific I, case, but we would urge our, our customer, here's what they're saying, we would urge our customers to be vigilant when it comes to the retention and the safekeeping of their betting slips. Do you know that? Do you, know, do you understand what they mean by yeah. that? Yeah, I know. Like, I guess I think they're kind of putting out, like, did I, did I show my betting slip to anyone or is there anything like that? And I okay. guess, you know, Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that a little. What do you recall on that day when you did the bet in Boyle Sports in Middleton? Like, I recall, like, you know, like, just going up to the, to the machine and placing my bet, and I know there was someone next to me, and he, I know he kept looking into my bet, and that's, look, again, that's just ideas that are coming into my head, because over the period of weeks that it's gone on so long, I'd be thinking, like, every scenario in my head, what could have happened... Um, there was a person next to me there was people around me and you know, I don't know look at, did it, someone look at it did they take a picture of it without me seeing like CCTV like I'm sure it's with Ungarishi Connor they can see all this like but again like there's there's I, I honestly don't know what happened okay. like. but but do you do you recall anybody asking you about your bet no I didn't know no like, I, again I didn't give permission to anyone used or or didn't give anyone permission to to use the bet that I placed, like so. Okay. So, there, so I'm just. Let me just nail this one. Nobody. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that you did say this in the past. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I kind of half got the impression that somebody said to you, "What bet are you placing? Can I copy that bet?" No. Well, there was a fellow next to me, but I just goes, I, I took no notice of him, like you know. But did he? Did he talk? Did he talk to you? Yeah, he did, yeah, but sure, like, I wasn't really kind of paying attention to him. I just, I just goes, yeah, this is my bet, like, I didn't say anything more. Okay, no, this you is know, really, this is really important, because this may be the individual that they need to find, I'm, I'm only saying, but... Oh, yeah, what, what did he say? How was his English? Well, like, he was, he wasn't Irish, they would say that, like, so, you know, I just kind of did the best, kind of looked at the screen he was looking in he goes oh like kind of nice better whatever kind of thing and then I just got my sip and walked out of the shop okay you know, so, so I don't like you know I don't get it I received the sip and I walked out of the shop like it's just going on so long though it's seven weeks and I goes I still haven't I'm not clear to whatever happened like you know I thought this like how boys sports haven't transferred information to me is crazy like so, you know when you... Forgive me, I know absolutely nothing, really, to be honest, no, about fine. the inside of, of a bookies. The only time I go in there is... And I go up and I fill a docket out of the counter. I usually do it in Boyle Sports because I have a buddy working in there on the Douglas Road. It's usually the Grand National or something, maybe a bit yeah, of tennis. Yeah. So I go up to the counter and I write it down on a slip of paper. I give it to him, uh, Dave, and he, he stamps it for me. I give him the money and he gives me a copy of it. It's a slip. 
Okay. You don't do that. You do use a terminal, is oh, it? Oh, no. My, like, oh, yeah, I would do that the odd time. Like, but it goes like it's just as easy to go into the machine. Literally, you can just click, you can press with your finger on the screen, whatever your selections are, get up an accumulator and just receive the betting slip and just go away with it then. And then when I come back, I just, I'll have the betting slip. Again, like when I returned the Friday evening, or sorry, the Monday evening at five o'clock, I went into the shop and I scanned my betting slip off the machine. Now, like it didn't come up in the machine that was paid out, even though boys told me it was paid out at 11 o'clock that morning. The machine just said to me, go to the counter to be KYC verified, which is now your customer. So I was saying if someone did have a picture of it or like if there was potentially something out there, if they scanned it on the machine, the same message should have came up for them. I understand that. But I just want to rewind to what's on the screen. Is there a barcode on the screen? What do you actually print? Like you print out just, it's the equivalent of a docket. Like, you know, okay. so when you hand up your written docket, we'll say, and you receive a piece of paper back, it's the exact same as that. So you do but get like, it. You get like, a, and on that paper, is there a barcode? Yeah, there is. Yeah. And is the barcode on the screen? No, it wouldn't be. I don't know, to be honest. I don't. I wouldn't think so. But like, so, there is a potential thing where someone can... I didn't know about this now. Obviously, over time, I was learning about it. But there's a reward card where you can click it off the machine and it just goes straight to your online account if you have an online account. But if that's the case, they would have known what account it's gone into straight away. Because if, they're, if boys sports are saying, and, and they don't want to come on air, it's not that I haven't asked them, but if they're saying that they're liaising, their security team are liaising with, with the Gardaí in Cork on this matter. S- somebody must have taken a photograph of your bet. Like, I, but I don't get that. Like, I told someone else could have used it, like, because they told me there was an email sent to that shop in the morning before close, or open, sorry, by the military manager, and she told me that the bet was flagged. So I said, when, so when the bet is flagged, that's you couldn't scan it on the machines, you couldn't get it paid out, that you'll have to ID that person. So if they had to ID that person when the bet was uh, cashed out, like, they have the identification of the person like that did it. And it's very simple. Why, why is it taking them so long to hand this information off to the guard? But should the ID makes no difference. Or you, you, like you, you, somebody could steal your bet well, and go into... Money, so it's, a, it's a large sum of money, so they wanted to ID someone like like because if the if the bet was flagged, they wanted to ID him. So your man so was no matter where your, your, it was scanned, no matter where in the county it was scanned, they would have wanted to ID that person. But so how that, how did he get your actual barcode? I have no idea. Unless he managed to take a photograph of your barcode. Yeah, and that's without my knowledge or so permission. After you got the slip. With the barcode on it, just, did, did anybody approach you then to look at it or ask you, could they see it? Not to my knowledge, no. I literally got the bed and walked out of the shop. So at what stage, because you would need the barcode to pay out the bet? Mm, exactly. So I was like, I literally, I, got, I did the bet at Sunday at about 12 o'clock around that time. Got into my car then after and I spent the whole day at home watching games. I actually called off to a friend's there, but like I did, like the betting tip was at home, like. So there's, you still need the slip with the barcode on it to go up to a counter to get I would paid. Assume, I would assume any, I would assume any large amount like that, because you'd need to show the, the actual physical slip, like. 
how else could you get paid, be paid out without the slip or a copy of it? Exactly. And I'm, I've, I've, unless it's gone to an online account, like if someone scanned their card, like, and I didn't know it was already scanned in the machine. But like, they're like, boys both have access to all this. There's timestamps and everything. When, when the barcode was scanned, who paid it out, how it was paid out, where it was paid out. Why can't they hand out of information off to them? But uh, I would imagine at this stage they have handed over everything that they have available to. Yes, yes. To be honest, Neil, I got, I've been liaising with the guards and the, the, the cooperation is very minimal. Well, the case I has moved from Toker like guards this. now, apparently, I'm told, to Douglas guards. Were you aware of that? It was, yeah. It was like, and it was being thrown around for a few weeks ago. Who's going to be in the investigating after? And you know what? She's doing a great job, to be fair to her. Um, and like, I tell you, it's just they've they've just literally thrown the CCTV at, or CCTV at them with no timestamps, and they go, "Look, figure out there your own time is what where what happened." And have they and got can, CCTV uh, for the for the Grange branch and also for the Middleton branch? Yeah, so the CCTV of the Middleton branch are able to confirm me doing the bit and walking out of the shop, but they said that inside in Grange, they said it's very uh, broken up CCTV and it's very hard to make out anyone. And I was like, "That's typical, isn't it?" Well, you see, if you could look at the Middleton CCTV and the character who spoke to you and then look at the yeah. Grange oh, CCTV yeah. and see it's if the same character went in, then that means he's the yeah, guy he, who got the money. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I said. Like, But, you know, it's just taking time. That's all it is. And unfortunately, it's aggravating. I'm just trying to, in my own head, trying to unravel how this could have happened, because you do need the barcode. So, if you take yeah, a exactly. photograph, if you take a photograph of somebody else's barcode, and it's on your phone, can you walk up to the counter, present the photograph of someone else's barcode, and be paid out? I'm not, well, like, to be honest, if that was the case, Neil, like they wanted, like as I said, the bet was flagged already. So if someone did do that. They would need identification. Yeah, but even they if I did steal it and I could and I would give ID, th- it, that mm. would make no difference because it's just my ID. They'll still pay me. Yeah, that's and that's that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But I go if someone like they're able to link that bit no with identification. Why can't they hand that over to the guy? Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. That whoever did get paid out maybe did present identification and it would be like shooting fish in a barrel. He'd be very traceable, exactly. assuming that the identification wasn't fake. Exactly. Well, yeah, there could be a tattoo now. That's a whole different kettle of fish then. But the, but you must get a printout from the terminal machine with a barcode on it to go to the counter to get paid. Mm, yeah. So where, where, where but did it's, you... It's, it's, it's just the, it's the ID thing for me, Neil. Like, that's the big thing. I was, if they were going to ask me for ID, like, surely they were going to, whoever cashed it in, like, they obviously asked them for ID as well, like, or else it's a complete control breach. Yeah, am I being 100% clear on this? Because I don't understand the, 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 the actual stages yeah, that somebody are, yeah, goes through. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure, like, I, I, I walk into the... I walk into the bookies, right? Yeah. Okay, I want to put on an accumulator. Sorry, no. Yeah. It's, it's your story. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I, it's just I go to a terminal. Yeah. I bang Liverpool to win, Man United to lose, Djokovic to win the Australian. Um, that's an accumulator. Yeah. I pay them, I, you know, what do I do then? A credit card, debit card? Hey, whatever you want. You can, you can pay cash, pay okay. card, or okay. whatever, and whatever then, you want. And I do that on the machine. What happens then? Do you get a, then you get the, the, you get the, 
bit given to you with a barcode at the bottom that if it comes through from a machine yeah so it's like a transaction you end up with okay. a barcode it's, so it's the barcode is printed by the machine yeah some guy comes up to him and says can I look at your bet correct takes a photograph of it uh-huh. off he goes with the bet on his phone mm-hmm. it's not his nope. it's, it's Ray's Somebody goes else's. through all the bookies my accumulator comes in the other guy goes up with his phone barcode is on it he's stolen it from me by taking a photograph of it and the barcode will work and pay out. Yeah, as far as I'm aware that what would happen in this case, he, he wouldn't even have to go, like if he was going into a different branch, Any let's branch. say, he doesn't have to go to the desk. He can just go to a machine, another machine that he scans. It could be the same machine that does both, I'm not sure. But he scans the phone, the barcode that's on the phone in the machine, that prints him out a winnings ticket like something a receipt that shows him that he's won the bet he then presents that to the desk so if people that are working at the desk it just looks like any other punter that's gone to the machine sure, Ray. has gone with the winning thank ticket you, Kevin. thank you sure, Ray sure. that's, that's like, what happened when, man that's what happened but I goes I'll argue the case here that I goes when I went to the machine when I first went into the shop to get a paid out when I scanned my doctor in the machine it didn't say paid out which it was paid out eight hours previous according to what I found out after it just said go to the counter to be KYC verified mm. so if someone else Scanned on the machine. Okay. That means then they would have been told go to the counter too. I assume every machine in the county would be the same. Like they're all interlinked. I know. My 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 fear here and my fear here is that there were two bets placed. The guy's bet and your bet, Ray, and that the mm. guy has actually managed to claim both of those. And that's that's so why. That's the case. So, like, here goes. Oh, I didn't give him permission at all. Like, no, you didn't. Okay, so the which is why is, now it's in the hands of the guardian, yeah, I suppose, and, to try and investigate okay, that. And so the hope is that they will get to the bottom of it because, like, this sh- it should be fairly traceable. Okay. You would imagine. Hopefully. So after you after you printed that slip from the machine, right, which you held in your hand mm-hmm. with the barcode, did that guy then ask you to see it? Like he was just kind of pondering. On to be honest, I took no notice. Like, was know? he next to you when you had it in your hand? Oh, he was right. He was right next to me. Yeah, very close. He, but like the machines, like there's four machines, we'll say in a row. He was on the machine next to me, but he just kept looking to the right. No, I like I still can't put the blame on him either. Like we need hard evidence that it is him. Like, but you know, it's a potential possibility. Like boys haven't released information. The guards aren't telling me anything. You know. But they the are telling customers to be vigilant when it comes to the retention and the safekeeping of their betting slips, which is kind of code for saying. Somebody else got your, their hands on your on your on your barcode slip. Mm. Yeah, and we just have to figure out. No, look, I'm just waiting to see the answers now from CCTV and go from there. Like, because I goes to be honest, because it's not good enough for the boiling sports anyway for me as a customer. Like, you know, like they haven't been like it's gone past nearly the point of money. No, it's the principle that they're able to treat customers like this. Like, I want an explanation, even you know. Okay, let's see. Let's see what happens then with Douglas Gardy. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, this is going to take some more time, but they sound fairly reticent about not paying out. They, you know, even even from the point of view of listen, this would be a nice thing to do for you know, um, you know, uh, good PR. No, no. Yeah, but, but like I got it's like seven weeks on, like, and they're well able to kind of you know talk to you on Red FM. As and exercise a PR stunt, like, but you know, giving adequate information into the guards and myself seems like a difficulty for him. Okay, okay. All right, well, let's give it some time with Douglas Gardy and the CCTV then. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. But it, it does sound to me as if somebody, I'm not saying it's that guy, you're right, it may not yeah, be. Yeah. But, I mean, listen, I don't know of anybody else that was around you at the same time when you got the slip. 
Um, could have happened anywhere, I suppose. May not have been him, but but somebody got your docket. Or at least got a photocop photograph of your docket. Well, they've, they were like that. They've, they've, it's fraud. Like it's, they've stolen from me. Like you know, that's that's it's still not right. No, but it boils boards would say we didn't we didn't steal from you. Uh, somebody else did, and you need to go to the guards. Yeah, but like, well, like surely there's something boils boards should be doing for their customers. Like if anything like this ever happened, is it just kind of? Bust their hands and say, oh, not go away and get some minutes started, is it? So if I get the copy of I know that, but if I can get the copy of anybody else's betting slip with the barcode on it, a copy of it, I can get a bet paid out on it. That's kind of... uh, Potentially, yeah. That's potentially potentially dangerous, isn't it? Very. Like, that's wide open then, like, that's the case. Okay, okay. All right, um, listen, we'll, we'll touch base again and see what happens with regards to the guard investigation out of Douglas then, because uh, undoubtedly there will be some kind of guard to update, yeah? Yeah, I would, yeah, but like, you know, I goes, I don't want to be obviously annoying them the whole time and they're, they're doing a great job as it is, like, so... I'll I know, but there could be somebody potentially going around if it is this character. You could be doing it to loads of other people, you never know. Exactly, hanging, yeah. hanging around bookies, taking photographs of people's slips. Yeah, look, and it's good to obviously raise awareness first because I goes, I, I'd say I'm probably not the first person, but obviously maybe going to this extent, maybe I am the first person. But look, if anyone like, you know, it's bookies, the bookies, um, they're not regulated in Ireland or anything like, and they just feel like they can do what they want. So, well, they're denying responsibility. They're saying it's not their issue. But anyway, look, we'll we'll stay in touch with it and let's see what happens with regards to the Douglas Garda Station investigation. All right, we'll pick it up again. Yeah, perfect. All right, Thanks, okay. Neil. Thank you for staying in touch, Ray. Appreciate it. Back after the break. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Call Neil now. Oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. It's a mystery for sure, but I suppose that's what we want the Gardaí to do: is to unravel this mystery. Viv, good morning. Morning, you know, like. oh, good man. What have you got for me on this? Something similar? Yeah, just wondering if you, if you shared it on WhatsApp or something, because I know lads there that have shared stockets on WhatsApp celebrating their wins and they've, they've had similar situations. You know what I mean? What happened to them when they shared the picture of the docket? They were able to get the barcode off the, off the picture, did you know what I mean? And somebody else went in with the WhatsApp yeah. photo of the bet and cashed it in. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Something like that. That's what it is. That's what I've been told. Don't know whether or not he did any. So, so it doesn't really matter who has originally owned the docket. If anybody can get a photograph of a barcode from a bet, just a photograph of it, yeah. they go back in to a terminal, yeah. right? They go into a terminal yeah. and they scan the barcode at a terminal and out comes a docket, a winning docket, and they go in and they get the money. Then they go to the counter to get the money. Yeah, Bob's your uncle now for all that, yeah. So it's wide open to stuff like this then, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, all right, so thanks, Viv, appreciate that's, that. That's, that's just, 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 my, just, just my opinion, and maybe he, did, maybe he shared it or something, I'm not too sure, so... If it's put up online, then it, uh, it's a bit like... I know what you mean, yeah. Could you, could you do... You couldn't do that with a lotto ticket, though, could you? I, I'm not too sure, really. Should that have the same type of barcode, really? It's kind of... A, I'm not too sure it has a barcode. A lot of it has a barcode and a kind of a QR kind of type thing. But like you know, when I when I give tickets sure. away for Live of the Marquee and stuff like that, a lot of the time I do it on my Instagram page. But we we block yeah. out the barcode on it. 
because oh, yeah, yeah, anybody yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you could we put up tickets given away you have 24 hours to win a ticket to Live the Marquee Rod Stewart and we show the physical yeah. ticket on the screen on the on my Instagram page but we block out the barcode because somebody could just take that photograph of the exactly, barcode yeah, exactly, yeah. do you know what I'm saying yeah, same thing. Okay, same thing. okay, okay. All right, babe, cheers. Mind you, um, Ticketmaster are different now, aren't they? At least some of the Ticketmaster tickets that I buy, you have a digital ticket on your phone and it has a barcode, but there's this red line moving back and forth across the barcode all of the time in real time. Um, so you can't take a photograph of that. You have to present the car, the, the phone with the barcode um, to be scanned at the entry point of where you want to go into and this little red, you know the one it's a red line that goes back and forth over the barcode so that would stop somebody then from taking a photograph of it um, <clears throat> anyway I see a lot of texts coming in on this and I'll come back to them throughout the course of the morning but um, we had different topics of course over the last couple of days and one of them uh, I moved away quickly because things got very busy, we were talking about changing the laws and rules with regards to child maintenance um, and uh, having it paid where say a dad, some dads not all, some um, re- re- refuse to pay maintenance or uh, slow to pay it, uh, pay sometimes and don't pay the others and things like that. And they're, they're saying now that, that revenue will take the money or it will come directly out of a bank account or there'll be a lien on your bank account or um, you know your wages would be, maintenance would be taken out of your wages at source. Uh, this is what they're thinking about now. The problem is that anyone who works will pay the maintenance but on the dole you get away with not paying it. Mine was set close to 60% of my wages for three kids, says this chap. It had to be paid every two weeks, which was a total disgrace. They took my overtime into account too. So when I lost my overtime, I was told to get a second job by the court. So the courts are one-sided and take it, out of, on, take it all out on the fathers. Only people I have seen not paying are people on the dole. Well, the new proposal... Would it be ta- would be taken at source from your social welfare payment? Um, you were told to pay sixty percent of your wages to your three children. Uh, I won't go on air, but I pay one hundred euro a week for one child. I have no problem paying it. The school fees are split, which is fair. What's not fair, though, is that they have another child with another father who works and earns near enough to what I do, and he pays twenty euro a week. I pay a hundred. <coughs> I'm paying for his child as well because he's a miser. If they refuse to obey a court order, Neil, why just not lock them up like they locked up Enoch Burke? Uh, hello, if, uh, what if the man didn't want a child in the first place and the woman insisted on having the child herself? Women can choose to have an abortion. Men cannot. Yet a man can go to jail if they fight back with money, but nothing can happen if the man is kept from his kids. Welcome to Ireland. Uh, applications take months to go through. There's reams of these, just one or two more. I completely understand the new maintenance law possibly coming into play and every child deserves to be looked after. But I know fathers who are paying crippling maintenance to ex-partners every week when their ex-partners earns a considerable amount of money more than the child's father even does. As a result, there is money being taken from a low income uh, where the kids, where the kids reside, and be given to a home <coughs> that doesn't necessarily need it. That doesn't seem fair to me. Keep those texts coming. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. 
conversation that matters. There are also many moms that do not pay it either. It's not just dads. Many dads are getting custody nowadays over the mothers, did you not know? Also, if this is being clamped down on now, then the same should happen with paternity fraud as well. Um, Just another few here. Thanks for mentioning fathers that do care and pay for their kids They have to leave under duress in the first place and think about what's best for the children. I myself am one of those who did and I hope that one day my kids will understand why I did have to leave. It pains me every day not seeing my kids uh, over my ex. But one day they'll be old enough to make up their own choices. Love the show. Hope you get to read this out. Uh, Thank you for that. Uh, Keep me anonymous on the topic of maintenance. My partner is an unbelievable father to his daughter. She's in her teens now. He gives maintenance without fail every week since she was born. Gives money towards holidays, school uniforms, birthdays, Christmases, you name it. He is down to his socks on a weekly basis. Uh, And with the mother of his child that he deals with, it's still not good enough. Um, There's always an issue. You know what I'm saying here when she says, my partner is an unbelievable father to his daughter who's in her teen years now. Um, But her partner was in another relationship where he had the daughter with another woman. Um, so he's down to his socks on a Wednesday with regards to all that he's paying attention. But with his ex, it's still not good enough. There's always an issue and always an argument. He never went down the court route as he just wanted to see his daughter on a daily basis. And he puts up with this carry-on. I don't know how, but he does. He has, uh, he has his daughter more than the mother actually does. He should get the maintenance, not her. Not all fathers are bad, you know, and the fathers that do uh, make an effort don't get any credit. Some women just try to do everything to make life hard for the men, no matter what they do, and the child is always a weapon. That's from a a woman talking about her partner who's um, paying maintenance for a child from his uh, uh, wife, ex-wife, I suppose. Um, My ex works off the books, got hap, gets loan parents and I pay the mortgage plus 160 euro maintenance a week. My kids were sent over to me saying, oh, mum said you have to pay half of everything because you are the working dad. There were weeks where I had no dinner on a Wednesday until I got paid on a Friday. I never missed a payment, but still I was vilified to my children. It's not all men who are bad in these situations, but the courts will always favour the mothers. Believe me, I've been through it. There are two sides I know, and I wasn't an angel in my marriage, but I never let my kids down. So keep those coming, and uh, there are many of them, and I'll get an opportunity to read out some more, hopefully between now and midday. But I want to go back to my phone lines, if you don't mind. Miriam, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Miriam Hiltzer Foley of the very famous Hiltzer Brothers Jewelers. Am I right? You're right, yeah. 164 years in business. Oh, my God. That yeah, was that's a long time. Wasn't it a long time? Well, it is. We're still there, Neil. Oh, I know, but I mean, it's a long time to be in business. 1860, 164 years later, in spite of all of the competition. How is how is business, though? Because I know we were talking earlier in the week with the amount of change in the city and Patrick Street and business that closed. Yeah. Um, look, I suppose with COVID and everything, the last couple of years, it has been difficult. Um, maybe being in a country town, it has been that bit easier because I did get local support. Um, and I suppose this Christmas we were very lucky we had a good Christmas. But why so, why, why no Hilsers in the city? Why no Hilsers in the city? Well, at the time in 2015 we were approached the Cork City Council owned the building and we were renting it from them. Yeah, Grand Parade um, of course, just between the entrances to the market. Yeah, Yeah, that's correct, yeah. And 
the we had a very old lease with them, so they were going to increase our um, rents. And then they also said that they would leave us there until the Christmas of 2016, but they were looking to get the building back okay. because they had plans themselves okay. for it. Okay, okay. But was business good? Yeah. The business had shifted from the Grand Parade. It was going towards the other end of the city. You mean so all business on the Grand Parade had shifted away from the Grand Parade? It has, yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Um, I suppose there was parking. There were fewer retail units on the Grand Parade and um, people tended to go down by Brown Thomas, Marks and Spencers and then all the offices were being built down at the far end of the city so if people were coming into town we were just that bit further away football. Okay. Okay. I know I know when you're walking it's not too far but um, I suppose we were the destination store if people wanted us they made their way to us but it wasn't a passing trade anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So for the first since 1860 up to around about 2016, that was the location of Hillsers. Yeah, it okay. it was. Yeah. Well, we always had the shop in Bandon as well. Oh, I know. I, so I understand. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the city, yeah, we yeah we never moved. Well, it was about 1880. We originally started on the South Main Street where Jay Hillser and Sons was. Um, oh, right. That's where my great great grandfather started. Um, he died when his sons were quite young so the manager managed the business for them and then when they were old enough to take over the business the manager who was there wanted to stay there so my great great grandmother sold that business to him the shop and then she rented the Grand Parade and the shop abandoned for the two sons So, so when, when they came originally back in the 1800s uh, yeah. Hester wouldn't be an Irish name I, I, I believe it's German is it? It is, yeah, from the Black Forest. Okay, yeah. and, do, and do you, do you, did anybody tell you the story why your great-great-grandfather would come from Germany? Was he a jeweller over there, or was the, was the, did they have a background in jewellery? They actually had a farm, and during the winter they used to make cuckoo clocks. So it was actually selling cuckoo clocks, um, and there were a couple of other jewellers came around the same time. They're based in Sligo, the Whirlies in Sligo, they were in Drogheda. Um, even around the late 1860s they came to Ireland, and he originally came to Belfast, made his way down to Cork, liked it in Cork, and decided to settle in Cork. Okay. But he was only coming to sell the cuckoo clocks that they made during the winter and then go back and do the farming again during the summer. So it was more a clock, clock making business. And all that my, my So in all those generations, there must be like, what, four, maybe five generations, perhaps? Five, yeah. I'm fifth generation, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but would you have stayed if you could have stayed? I would. I, I loved Cork City. Um, I loved the people, the characters coming in. Um, you know, we had regular customers coming in every week and I did enjoy it. It's, it's where I had worked since I was 16 years of age, coming from school. Um, so I would, if the opportunity had arisen, I would have loved to have stayed in Cork City. Okay, so as yeah. the fifth generation Hillser that was there and started as a young girl coming from school and what have you, you must have seen huge changes. You know, you saw the whole redevelopment of the Grand Parade, the whole redevelopment of Patrick Street. Unfortunately, way too, mo- too many small shops and family shops are, are closing. Now, some of them, are, I know, are going into retirement, but others just can't wash their face. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of sad, yeah. isn't it? It is, it is. And, you know, um, it's great that new businesses and enterprises are getting funding to set up, but those that are established... Just because you're established, it's not that easy either, you know, and 
there's there's no help for those to continue, if you know what I mean. Um, and it just makes it harder. It might be even easier, easier to, to close down and open up again and get all the grants that are available. <laughs> Yeah, but imagine it's also a lot to do with the competition, isn't it? There are a lot of people selling jewellery and a lot selling watches and things like that. And then you have the area of online. Definitely. But still, I think with people, I, well, I find with our customers, they want to come in, they want to feel it, they want to touch it. A lot of them have been burnt online. Um, just looking at pictures, you know, what you see online is not what you get um, sometimes. The, you know, the piece of jewellery is an awful lot smaller than what they thought it was, or they just, from different sites, different sizes are sent oh, out. Oh, listen, you never know. You never know online. You really and truly don't. At least you can go in and put it yeah. on and try it on. What's the, the big move now I've seen recently, because my own son got engaged, there was an awful lot of talk about lab diamonds. Is that right? It, there is, yeah. Why yeah. would anybody um, want a diamond that was made in a lab? Well, personally, myself, I would prefer the natural and the, the trade we're in, we actually recycled an awful lot of stuff. So some of those diamonds that we're selling now are actually recycled diamonds. So they're not brand new coming out of mines. So is it because um, people are more conscious of not mining for diamonds, is it? And uh, it's more uh, ethical, is it? Yes, I think that's because of the route. But um, I know with us, because when we closed Cork, we did have a lot of stock left over. Um, I had diamond rings that hadn't sold or whatever. But I just recycled the diamonds, get different amounts. The gold that was used, that's also melted and recycled. So we're constantly reusing the, you know, the products that we're selling, you know. Yeah. Do you worry about the city? I know things are flying in, in Bandon and I'm delighted to hear it. But after 160 years on side, what do you think about the future of the city centre? I would worry for it, and particularly the, the small independents. It's so hard to trade with rates, rents, um, and now staff as well. It's hard to get unless you've older staff and if they're retiring. Um, I would. I, I was recently there visiting my brother in the north of Spain, and to see all the small little shops in the old parts of Girona, it you know, and it looked amazing. And if that could be brought back to Cork, it's such a pity. And what about over the shops? I mean, what, what was what was above Hilsers? We had, uh, on the very top floor, we had a jeweller's workshop and a watchmaker's and the office. And then the middle floor was where people were brought for engagement. Okay, so in that case, you were using all of the the, the different floors. But you walk around the city and you look above the shops. I mean, like, they could well be closed um, and for for rent or for lease. So they could be derelict. But above them, there's three or four floors doing nothing where people could live. Yeah, which is an awful pity because that's what I noticed too in Girona. Every place there was apartments above every single shop or restaurant and there was a lovely vibe in the city. Um, it would have been a bigger city than Cork, but just the whole vibe and unfortunately that is missing from Cork. Okay. Which is such a pity. Okay. Because it is a lovely city. They say it has to do with fire and safety and stuff like that. But you'd have the same in every other city. Sure, I know. You know, sure there, I know. there are ways of getting around it. I know, I know, I know. Okay, well, um, amazing to catch up with somebody who has a business that lasted that long and is still thriving, but sadly not in Cork City, um, but certainly in Bandon. I wish you well as fifth generation Hilser. Thanks so much for taking the call, Miriam. 
Thanks, Neil. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank I'll, I'll plough on as, as best I can. I may well come back to this after after 11 again. But actually, interestingly enough, it's, it's to another jeweller and another family business on Patrick Street. Uh, and indeed, uh, you know, we, we know of the Keynes because they, you know, Tim Keynes got Michelle's and other members of the family then have, have Keynes themselves in Cork and Killarney and Limerick and places like that. They go way back generational as well. But Tim got in touch with me overnight, rather lengthy email, rather than me reading it out. He joins me by phone. Tim, good morning. Good morning. So, it must be a jeweler's convention this morning. <laughs> it certainly is a jeweler's convention. But then again, many of them have been on Leaside for many, many, many years. So they've seen the changes and you've said it as well. Particularly, why do you say the last five years? Well, in the last five years, you notice firstly that customers were now saying that they were feeling nervous about town, that it was dirty and there was a lot of beggars around and people were aggressively being hassled, you know. And because there was no police around, people were getting nervous about the city centre, which was a big problem. But were they saying that to you across the counter or what? Oh, yeah. Mm, Yeah. mm. I mean, any retailer will tell you, uh, I suppose it's the times we live in, Neil, too. You hear of all these uh, terrible assaults on people and everything, you know? It isn't just Cork. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's particularly well, in I mean, the last I, five years. You know, it's get... Sorry, go on. No, yeah. go ahead. No, it's, it's your, I want to hear you. Go ahead. Okay. A friend of mine came up with this idea, which is interesting from... Uh, Oh, Miriam, what Miriam said there a second ago about to bring the life back into the city to rent out the upstairs over retail and bring people back into the city, which was part of the email I sent you, and that there would be a lot of advantages in that it would reduce the housing problem, it would increase the housing stock. It would give another income to the retailers in that they, whatever they rented out, they would get money for, obviously. Now they have the problems that they have to get through the fire but officer. But hold on a second, the fire officer is a problem, but why would you want young children and young families in apartments above the shops if you're saying that people are, that there's drugs and there's, people are aggressive and they're, they're being hassled on the streets, but yet we would want children to be reared on those Patrick streets? But what we're trying to do is change that. You have to take it one step at a time. What I'm saying is, if you get more people into the city centre, it'll push that out. And why isn't it, why isn't it happening? Is it because of the fire officers saying that they would need special fire exits and fire doors and and uh, a fire escape at the back I, of the property? I'm not qualified. To, I'm not. Qualified that's that's what that. I was told when when we looked at this last time. Certainly, because it, yeah, it, it I, certainly could be done. I not know just, people have said to me it's the problem, but I mean, quite truthfully, I don't know enough of the regulations to answer that problem for you. It I has mean, to we do with our upstairs for workshops and various things. So I really can't answer you that, on that. But I mean, I do know. I hear a lot about the traffic problems. I hear about the people that the city looks dirty. It looks tired. Uh, that all these people sleeping in the streets, especially in the main street, that it looks messy. Now, I have to say, recently I was away overseas. I won't say where, but I was shocked by the amount of tents I saw down these side streets off a main street. Yeah. No, it's not anything exclusive to Cork or Dublin. No, it isn't. It isn't. No. 
Uh, it's more of a no. scourge of drugs and heroin and all sorts of things than, than anything else that's yeah. leading to... I mean, and, and, and some people, sadly, are just homeless. They don't have anywhere to live and others can't get into Simon or Vincent de Paul or, or things like that. Um, but if there are yeah. three floors above a business, right? So And you could put mm-hmm. two apartments on each of those floors. That's six apartments, right? Each of them would pay, say, around about 1400 maybe 1500 a month. That's a huge yeah. rent roll, isn't it? It is, yeah, it is huge. It could be, it could be forty, could be forty grand a year. Yeah, I would agree. So you would think, you would think that if it was possible to do it, owners of buildings would be doing it already. Well, I don't know if the encouragement there. I mean, this is the first thing you must do. You have to change the mindset. I mean, the mindset was that the city centre was for, was for retail, and that was it. Now we have to get to the mindset that it's both retail and residential. I mean, if you take one of the guys, in actual fact, this friend of mine in America said to me, that street where the hotel is, the Imperial he was talking about, he said that would be a perfect street. He said if that was all residential, those big old buildings, he said each floor could be two apartments. And I'm thinking like those four floors. Oh, yeah, that's suddenly a hell of a difference, you know. You, would you think, uh, actually, I'll tell you what, I'll finish the conversation after 11. I hope you're in a position to hold on. Back after 11, text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Chatting with Tim Keane from Michelle's just before 11. Sorry for holding you, Tim. I, I, will, I will wrap up with you, so I appreciate that. No and problem. So the city is a very different city from when you're... Mam and Dad set up the businesses, right? Oh, there were totally, no, yeah. there were no yeah. shopping malls. There were no shopping centres. There was no Mahan Point. There was no online. There was a lot less jewellers, right? Well, I've no problem with competition, Neil. I've, I have a problem with unfair aspects. I mean, how do you deal with uh, people going to a shopping centre where they don't have to pay for parking, and then? If they come into town, they have to pay three euros or whatever it is. Yeah, and then they three or four hours. You know, that's that's twelve euros for three hours, whatever. As opposed to, they go out to one of the shopping centres. They have a cup of coffee. They do their shopping at their ease, and they don't worry. You know, that alone is a big problem. And to, and to say get a bus is not the answer to that. No, no. People want to bring their own vehicle. They want to be able to load stuff into it. They have their own mobility, you know. I mean, it's easy to say, get a bus, but I mean, a lot of people, then the reliability of the bus, they prefer. They want the independence of the car. Okay. You also said in your email that all too often, of course, the whole issue in the city is that people don't feel welcome when it comes to their car, for instance. You said, um, okay, we have the safety issues, but... A very good friend of mine said to me one time, he came to Cork for first time in years and he said are they trying to put the city out of business and I said why did you say that he said well it's a big sign that I saw coming in and he said it said uh, welcome to Cork but if you park if, no it was if you park illegally in Cork your car will be towed and it wasn't like even welcome to Cork it was just pointing out you know all the things that they would do to you if you did something instead of saying welcome to Cork yeah, um, yeah I, I understand that, but if, if you're... I don't think cars are towed anymore, incidentally, nor are they clamped. No, I don't think so. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, no, at the time, it was the mindset was, you know, against people coming in. It's like this the thing with the hours being stopped in Patrick Street. They say well, the traffic ban on Patrick Street, has that, has that yeah. helped or hindered? 
hindered, I think. But I mean, you know, we actually got it overturned at one stage and then suddenly it was dropped back in us and there was no more discussion about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you you couldn't have free parking in the city, uh, could you? That that would that would never fly. First hour free. No, uh, no, that for, but yeah. I mean, if it was half price or whatever, or if there was some return, I don't know. Maybe like they do in America, if they gave us some credit for our rates, and we'd say you came in to me and uh, bought something, and I stamped your uh, bill. You know that we paid it or something. I don't know. I don't know how that works. You they know, would pay for the parking. Pay. Yeah, yeah. you hear the people saying, "Oh, I get. Would you validate my parking?" You know, in America, when you'd be watching the shows and this kind of thing, or you're over there, you hear people talk about validate my parking. But I you, don't know how that system but works. Yet, but but sure yet, at Christmas, it was buzzing, and there was just a great vibe in this. I was in there numerous times, and there was, there was, there was carol yeah, singers like and shit. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, the weather was in our favor as well, of course. So it, people, you know, people. Do go in at the at Christmas time? Is it more to do with tradition? Do, yeah. yeah, it's more tradition. Yeah, I would I would feel. I mean, our big problem at the moment is there's a an, an, a belief there that the city is suffering. It's not suffering. We're all still there, and we're all fighting to stay in business and looking after our customers and all that. We're just looking for a level playing field and for these things to be relaxed. And someone to sit up and take reality checks. You know, price of parking needs to be adjusted. It's too expensive. There's a problem with the traffic. There is. There's a problem with these beggars around the street who are very aggressive, some of these fellas. Recently, I had a guy came over to me and said, do you have a cigarette? I said, I don't. Ah, you do, he said. You know, I'm getting really aggressive with me. I said, no, I don't. Mm. But I mean, the guy was more or less... Getting ready to take me on, you yeah, know, and I just yeah, walk out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, and that that would impact on someone who would say, "I'm staying out of the city because I don't want to go through that kind of harassment." Sad news, though, this morning, where the New York Times has named Waterford among the top fifty places to visit in 2024. I wonder what they're doing so differently. I know it's it's a beautiful county. Don't get me wrong, but I'd prefer to see Cork yeah. being on the New York Times list. Yeah. So would I. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Indeed. We keep fighting anyway. Okay. Much obliged, Tim. Thank you, Tim Keane at Michelle's. Incidentally, uh, I know that uh, there was an extra comment there. Uh, just coming back to earlier on, we were chatting with Hillsers where they were saying that actually in Bandon, uh, that has happened in Bandon where you have, um, you know, Miriam was on the air. I think she called back uh, Seamus and was saying, where's the fact that you will see in Bandon that an awful lot of over the shops in Bandon town are actually apartments and it's working very well down there. And I'd imagine a lot of those buildings would be very, very old. So I don't know how they get around issues regarding health and safety and fire regulations. But if you looked at Patrick Street, I'd say nobody's living on Patrick Street now. Is there, I'm up, you can correct me on this if you want. Is there anybody living on Patrick Street? Does anybody live on the Grand Parade? Does anybody live on South Mouth? Text 0868 Call Neil now. 0818 The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. I heard about women struggling to get the fathers of their children to pay maintenance and also of those who happily take maintenance while barring fathers from their children on your programme. I reckon nasty breakup and the resulting litigation happens all over the world. It is one reason I never intend to marry, never intend to date, Never intend to have sex or even kiss or cuddle a woman or a man. I'm happier not pursuing romantic relationships and sex. Something many listeners will find hard to believe, but it is true. As well as no fear of family law issues, I'll avoid STIs. 
sexually transmitted uh, diseases uh, and I'll have less stress in my life as I'll have no partner to impress and keep happy, says Patrick. I, I think that's a, an incredible email. It's, 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 a, it's a fine perspective on life and whatever you're doing, go for it. Paddle your own canoe. Uh, but thank you for it. I know we were talking to Patrick and I hope to actually pick up that conversation with him uh, in early February. Just one more before we go back to the phone lines on topics that we've been dealing with. Please do not give up my details, but I'm a man and a victim of domestic violence. I had to leave the family home with nothing. Uh, the narcissist I was married to then started spreading rumours about how bad I was and affairs I apparently had, even though I rarely even went out. The people she said these things to used to laugh while telling me about them because they knew it was just lies. She poisoned my child against me and I didn't have a proper contact with the child for years. The child told me what she used to say to them about how much of a bad person I was. I was a broken man at the time and contemplated just ending everything as my whole life and everything I worked for was just gone. I had to try to find accommodation and start life again. The courts were a total joke. A solicitor asked me for €600 Euro for 15 minutes in court when I went to get access to my own child. As soon as she broke the agreement, I couldn't afford to go to court every time. Some women use children as bargaining chips when the relationship breaks down and it is awful, believe me. I never missed a maintenance payment either. This country seriously needs to bring couples into court at 50-50 level and work from there. But I can tell you, innocent men all over the country are paying for a home with another man living in it and it is soul-destroying. I moved on now and have met a wonderful woman and my mental state has finally recovered. And that by email to neil at redfm.ie. And that's just one of many, many correspondents I have from people, some quite lengthy actually, telling their entire life story. Not all of it, unfortunately, broadcastable because it's, uh, some of them are subject to ongoing court issues, but you know what I mean when I say that. Again, I just turned back then, because we'd also been talking a lot during the week about, about the state of the city. I've been, I've been banging on about, you know, put apartments over the, the buildings on Patrick Street, Grand Parade and, and the South Mall. Came across, uh, or the lads did, came across an interesting story from just before Christmas, um, uh, December the 2nd, and it was published in, well, it was published on Echo Live. So you did have people who had a building and still have a building. So this is a company called Major Field Limited. They put in an application to Cork City Council to change the use of um, the first, some of the ground floor and the first, second and third floors of a business on the junction of Patrick Street and the Grand Parade. Do you know that corner, the opposite side of the road to McDonald's? It's almost like the it's almost like a flat iron. It's the actual corner building, the end of Patrick Street, butting onto the start of the Grand Parade. It's a beautiful, beautiful building. It's gorgeous. It's um, it's just throw up a picture of it again there if you can, Kevin. It's just one of those beautiful original buildings. So it's got ground floor office or business or whatever, and then the upper floors above it. Uh, where nothing is happening. It's gorgeous, so ornate, with all just fabulous balconies on all of the different floors, right up to a, a triangular top on the on the roof itself. It's just lovely. Um, so there's nothing happening there. So they applied then, cut a long story short, to change those upper floors from office space to residential because they said that there was nil interest in tenants for office use for the upper floors. So they couldn't rent them. So they applied to have them changed. And they wanted to put in, I suppose what they wanted to put in would have been the likes of 
studio apartments, right? There's nothing wrong with those. What's wrong with the studio apartment? Anyway, they were knocked back and they were told that the um, planning that they submitted for these new apartments do not meet the minimum floor area requirements. Now, I'm not going to go into the square footage or the meterage of them. But it's just a typical example of where a company said, listen, we can't rent them as offices. Nobody wants them. It's St. What's it called? It's called St. Patrick's Building. It's a beautiful, gorgeous, ornate building going way back. So they can't rent them for office. Um, the, the, those in authority would say, well, you're going to have to leave them empty because we're not going to let you flip them to residential. Wouldn't that have been a great start to having residential on Patrick Street on the Grand Parade? And we could learn from that then and do more and more. But the planning was refused for the apartments. Um, and I don't know that they can appeal. I'd love if they were successful and it was the start of more buildings like that being flipped where the upper floors became apartments or studio apartments. I think you know what you're getting when you go looking at a studio apartment, don't you? But we have been talking a lot about businesses who have survived many, many years in the city. And then I read out a list of those, sadly, that didn't. And Hilsers, of course, since 1860, starting on the North Main Street and then moving to the Grand Parade. I was looking online over the Christmas because I'm on a mailing list for Bradley's on the North Main Street. It's a shop that I really, really love. I love the food offerings there. Uh, they've got a great beer stock and um, they've got wonderful wines uh, if you ever want to buy them or give them as gift. But they go back generations. Just go and look at Bradley's website, actually, to see the generations of people handing it down from father to son and intergenerational two brothers starting out in the first place, I believe. It's a fabulous backstory. And I hope to get the backstory of Bradley's in the in the coming days or not, you know, not, not too far into the future. Uh, but you look at businesses who have survived, who really have an opinion as to what's happening in the city. And, uh, Wyan, Stansfield's on Paul Street, right in the heart now. How many years, Wyan? Uh, 40 years since last November. 40? 40? Yeah. Pinocchio's 40 years. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is quite amazing because we are, there, there is, on Paul Street now, there's only two retailers on the back end of um, Waterstones, ourselves and Sweetheart. Um, in a part of the city that you would have said there there, there should be quite a lot. But and there was cafes there around. before and restaurants there before, all along the line. <laughs> There's always been a mixture. Um, like in, in Huguenot Quarter in general, it has always been a mixture, though nowadays it is very heavily on the restaurant and coffee shop. Um, retailers are... Uh, um, Few and far between. Okay. So, oh, yeah, there are a lot of food offerings of, of that, you can be sure. Not too far from you on Carey's Lane, I believe, is Fellini's, which is said to be the oldest cafe in Cork. And it's old, not ancient. It's something from the 1980s, I believe. I think so, yes. I'm not sure. It's it's not that old. But, I mean, I mean, I, most of the really old ones have gone. Um, uh, you know, certainly the ones that, that my parents would have gone to, um, if, if you could call them coffee shops in those days, which is a very debatable point. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but certainly those sort of small cafe type things have have, have more or less disappeared out of the city centre. I mean, most of it is modern coffee shop. Okay. Which is not a bad thing, mind you. Okay. Well, it's just, a, I often wonder, can all of the cafes, coffee shops, restaurants, takeaways and all the sit-downs, can they all survive? There are so many of them. Um... I don't know. I mean, at the moment, they say there's a lot of coffee shops under serious pressure because of costs. And certainly in the city centre, there are a lot of coffee shops. I mean, an awful lot. Um, Because the profit on coffee is... I know it's not your area, but like... And and I don't mean to generalise, but the profit on coffee is enormous. It is, but you do have to sell a hell of a lot of coffee to get that profit. Okay. So, I mean, and, and, and they're... The, that's, and that's only the physical profit on a cup of coffee. 
Um, and once everything else is added in, it, it isn't not a profitable business. I mean, it is a profitable business if it's done well, but, but it's not... It's certainly not a money-making machine unless you've got volume traffic. Okay, you you know you know of the criticism and buildings closed. All of this began again when Tung Sing closed the doors on Saturday after sixty years, and of course I then went through a list of others that have also done so. Sadly, um, uh, Electric is is closed and, and for sale, and you know the um, I know that uh, say for instance the Oyster is available for rent. One of many of these businesses have been around a long, long time. Um, how, how, how would you improve things? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, obviously people are concerned about security, although, I mean, now I did have a guard give out to me about the fact that I said I wasn't that concerned about it. And he said, well, you know, 30 years on the street might inure you against it a bit. But, um, but you know, we're not a city that has a particularly bad security problem, funnily enough. I mean, despite what people might think sometimes. And certainly sometimes there's a small thing happens and it's blown out of all proportion because I mean it shouldn't happen I mean it, it, you know your streets should be safe but why and why and why and where you are located there in the plaza major drug dealing area there oh it's there's no denying that there's drug dealing going on and I mean you know but but again most the vast bulk of those guys are quite harmless there is obviously one or two who are not but there has always been one or two um, homeless people or alcoholics and it's not like we haven't you know okay it's drugs now but it's not like we didn't have a problem with alcohol in the past you know it, it, it's it's not it's not a new thing it's it's probably a little bit worse now but it is also a little bit worse everywhere mm-hmm. I mean it's not a unique to Ireland by any stretch of the imagination or unique to Cork yeah. or unique to Cork as a city of this size yeah but but there's an awful lot more people begging there's an awful lot of people I saw it myself on, on Saturday people even in the afternoon they're still they're still sleeping in the doorways and there's there's so many of them that are clearly professional beggars who are there for profit and are picked up later and taken away in cars. We know them, um, and, uh, and 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 yeah. And now that that I would have to agree with. I mean, I I find that that a lot of the ones that you see in the afternoon in doorways are professionals. They are not homeless people. They're doing a job for a day. And I mean, it's an awful thing to say, but that is just that is just a fact that most of them are are, are it's work. You know, um, it, it, it's hard to know how you stop it. I mean, we, we've had numerous discussions with guards over the last oh, three, four, five, six years. We always point out the same thing. If they're on the street, there is no trouble. And to be fair, around Christmas they are. And they do go through phases where we see them on a regular basis. And they do come in and ask us how we're doing. And, and we always say the same thing. You know, it's great that you're around. The more you're around the less hassle, the less messing about that goes on. The less you know, theft, perhaps. The behaved. court reports in the papers are oh. constantly there with people shoplifting. There's another one during the week of somebody I who had like over a hundred offences. I don't know about that. Um, I don't know about that. I have to say, as a retailer, the average shoplifter doesn't... I mean, you can have cameras, which we do. You can... It makes very little difference. Um, you know, many of them are doing it continuously. I mean, we certainly, we don't have, well, I hope, we don't have huge losses from theft. Okay, but, but, but. It's a relatively small space. But, but others do. do. Have, they have, they have, secu- why would they need to put security outside a centra or put security outside or the doors well, of a problem. chemist? 
this is this is the problem. It, 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 the theft levels are much worse. It's it's and, and and I don't know what's what is driving that these days. Whether it's I, I'm not I really couldn't say. I mean, I, I there are certain members of the community that are more prone to it. Doesn't I? You know, I mean, our, our, one of our worst shoplifting experiences was a lady who was extremely well dressed, well spoken, but she had an entire bag full of stuff. Bizarre, you know. Bizarre. Yeah, bizarre. Yeah. And there's no explaining it. There's no, you know, she made all sorts of excuses about her husband being out of work, etc., etc. But I know many people who are out of work and they do not resort to okay. nicking stuff off small retailers. So, you know, it's it's very, I, I really, I don't know. The, the policing thing is probably the single biggest issue in the city centre. If it's well policed and well maintained, people look after it. But to be honest, you know, the litter stuff around the city centre that's not done by Cork City Council that's done by the population of Cork just walking along and thinking yeah. it's exceptional you know that it's okay to chuck wherever you go I mean we have to pick up stuff all the time outside the shop because and there were never no bins there were never more bins to be honest they put in loads of those new well, big exactly. yeah. Yeah. I mean there's, there's there's four bins within 30 metres or so of us and they still put stuff behind the flower boxes all the time just dump it on the ground outside the shop yeah. Okay. The, bin, the bins make no difference. It's, it's you know. Okay, okay. I'm going. I'm going to plow it on here because I got a number of calls to do this side right, of midday. No but problem. thank you, Ryan, for right. sure. Much obliged from Pinocchio's uh, Toy Shop on uh, Paul Street. Text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. After the break, I want to talk with Tom Spalding. You might know that every single year, and this started way back in the day when the late Ronnie Hurley and and Tom Spalding started these wonderful local Cork history evening classes at Ashton. It's gone on from year to year. Unfortunately, Ronnie has has passed away, but Thomas Soldier on uh, and he's harnessed the uh, uh, wonderful uh, historic knowledge of other people to help him with it. It's a, it's a 10 week course. I've, I actually went to two different ones and I intend to go to this one as well uh, at Ashton. It kicks, off on, it kicks off on the 30th of January. If you love your city or you're interested in the history of it uh, stay listening. More on that after the break. The Neil Prendival Show on Red FM Conversation that matters Text 0868-104-106 and be part of the conversation that matters. Joined by the local historian and author Tom Spalding. Tom, good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Another year comes around and another fabulous evening class for people to sign up for. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, perfectly. Yeah. Just just we're before that, just yeah. before that, because we're talking about businesses on Lee Side and the changing face of say Patrick Street, Grand Parade, South Mallon areas like that. Okay, H- have you mm. have you ever done any research into the oldest businesses in Cork? Uh, only I, I, when I was doing the book on the Cork exhibition, we looked at some of the businesses who had exhibited in 1902 and were still trading. You know in 2013 and, and there was businesses like McKechnie's Cleaners um, which have definitely been in business since the late 19th century and are still, uh, still trading today. Um, there was a firm called Punches and obviously Dosco, the, break, the brush manufacturers they were at the Cork Exhibition in 1902 and they're still trading away so I mean there are a number of Cork businesses um, the Cork Examiner Irish Examiner obviously would be another one um, and they're not as many as there would have been 20 years ago, but there are still, still a good kind of smattering of, of core businesses um, that are still trading since since at least 1902. Well, I was just looking at um, the Reedies at the Chateau, for instance. Uh, the mm. sign would say... Yeah, that's been interesting. Uh, what, yeah. what would the sign say? 1793? Well, 1793 is, is the date um, that the, the, the Reedies take for the, the, the founding of the business, um, and it's certainly been in the booze business 
that building since the late 18th century. I, I, am, I, I actually, from my research, I think it's probably a couple of years earlier, but 1793 is a nice safe date. Um, so they would have started originally as um, wholesalers and importers of, of wines and spirits, and then later got into the retail trade. But it's all the same basic business, and you know, well over you know 200 or well, nearly 230 years. Okay, so um, 230. Quite impressive. Who who'd come close to them? Gosh, that's a very good question. Um, the um, Oyster Tavern claimed to be founded since 1792, I think, um, but I haven't done any research on that business, so I wouldn't be able to, to stand over that. Um, and then there's the Gateway Bar up by the barracks, um, the old Elizabeth Fort. That claims to have been open since the, the late 17th century. Uh, but again, I haven't. That would make it a 1600s purpose. pub, now known as Barbarella exactly, Ross yeah. and Barbarella, I think. That's the one, yeah. Um, I haven't seen the, the data on that, but I mean, if that was the case, then I think that would probably be the oldest um, uh, business premises. Obviously, it's a different, you know, firm. Obviously, running it after after three hundred years. Oh, I, I, I get that. I mean, the Reedies weren't in the yeah, shadows yeah. in seventeen ninety no, odd. No, I know no. that. Yeah, well, um, I mean, they were back in Limerick at that point. Yeah, Fitzgerald's menswear, though, would certainly be. Because they would have been in nineteen o two, so we can trace Fitzgerald's and Patrick's in nineteen o two. Yes, I mean, that's 122 years at least. Um, so that's another, you know, very well-established, great cork business. Um, uh, I, I don't have an exact founding date for them, but even if it's just 122 years, I mean, that's pretty bloody amazing, you okay. know, when, when we see businesses okay. come and go. All and I'm sure time. others could add to this list, but Murray's Fishing and Tackle, a gun shop, would would be a candidate. Also, again, Patrick Street, 1828? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is that that that's excellent, and and there would have been obviously a number of of businesses trading in not just in in guns, but in kind of fish tackle, um, you know, uh, requisites for horses. So we think about the Days Shop, which um, stood um, as part of on, on part of the Dunn Stores site. Um, the Day family were, were were long established makers of of bags and leather goods and and riding equipment, and they would have been obviously related to. That the gun and hunting and shooting and fishing kind of um, yeah, trades yeah, yeah. Yeah, but life change of course yeah. and people's pastimes change and unfortunately Indeed, shops yeah. like that and also do you remember the days when there would have been a lot of fur shops and mink shops they're all gone now as well Indeed yeah yeah indeed I mean I think there's still Bernardo's up in Dublin I think they're still in business and they've been in business since the mid 19th century but uh, I don't think there's any maybe left in that trading court at all. Would that be part of the Glimpse of All Cork series that you're doing at uh, yourself and Dermot O'Driscoll and Jason Byrne that you're doing at Ashton? Yes, indeed. I mean, we talk about mostly um, things like markets in Cork City. So Dermot and his brother Donald did a book on the English market a number of years ago. So Donald does a, a great talk about not just the English market, but the various other um, fruit and vegetable clothing markets that would have been in the city go right back to the medieval period. Um, and I do a talk on cork pubs. Um, so we look at the kind of the history of, uh, of brewing with Diarmid and then I kind of go on to talk about the pubs uh, and the kind of some of the stories around those and, uh, and why we have the kind of pubs we have and why we have so many pubs in the past. Um, so we, this was a case that we that did have that. many, many pubs that are now gone. But is that because oh, lifestyle yeah. changes, culture changes? There's too many of them. Yeah, 
You know. Yeah, it's all of those things. I mean, some people say there was enough. There was a pub for every day of the week in Cork, but actually, that's not true. There was a pub for more than every day. It would have taken you a year and a half of drinking in a different pub every day just to get through all of the pubs in Cork City. Well, and I'm not talking ahead. about. Yeah, I'm not talking about Carrigaline or Balancholic. I'm just talking about the city centre. That's like close on 500 pubs. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh my god! Oh my god! Insane. And when was the yeah. when was the peak of Cork pubs? It would probably have been the early days of the 20th century. Um, late 19th, early 20th century, there would just have been hundreds. Like, um, literally, if you blindfolded somebody and sent them off, they would have bumped into a pub within, you know, 100 feet of where so they So at a time when was. people had the least, there were so many pubs, yeah. and people were working hard yeah. and probably spending way too much of their wages in the pubs. I imagine they would, that would have certainly been the case for some people indeed, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously drink was a lot cheaper then uh, and it was always regarded, rightly or wrongly, regarded as part of your diet, uh, especially for somebody who was maybe working on the docks or somebody who's doing heavy physical labour. You know, you, you did get some of your calories every day from your beer. I suppose the balance would be how much beer you had um, you know, and how much money you spent on it and how much went to the rest of your family. You know, That's that the thing the, I often wonder because primarily the women were at home at the time. For God's sake, a lot of them wouldn't be able to even to vote or even get a job back then, but they were at home tearing their hair out while your man's in, in one of the 500 pubs around Cork City. God almighty. Indeed, yeah. And I mean, the, the, the typical thing, well, it, I mean, everyone's different, every family would have been different, but it, it wouldn't have been unusual for a fella to, to you know, have a pint on the way home or a couple go home for his tea, then back to the pub again afterwards, and then back home again after that. And part of that, I suppose, was because many houses were so small that if you just wanted a piece of, bit of peace and quiet or talk to your friends or, or you know, get out of the kid's way, there, there was only really two places to go. There was, there was the streets or there was the pub. Um, and so the kids went out in the streets and played and, and uh, the fellows went to the pub and then the women at least had a bit of peace and quiet as far as they could anywhere at home with the, with the younger children and their friends and relations. It doesn't sound as, as if they were very hands-on dads, but maybe that's for another <laughs> no, day. I think it's safe to say. My, many of them wouldn't have been, I think it's safe to say. So if it's over, if it's, it's, a ten, it's ten weeks, and, it, and, and as I say, I have been to two different ones, I intend to go. Uh, do, do you, have you been updating the topics as you go along? Indeed, yes. I think, I mean, in the, in the years since, since you attended, I, I think um, there's probably only one talk that's still um, running from, from those years. So we have 10 talks. Um, we have two on military history by, by Jason Byrne, um, who would be well known in military history circles in Cork, especially to do with um, the, the development of the harbour defences and the, the town walls and things like that. Um, we have... Um, three talks from Dermid about um, brewing and markets and um, people at the Beamish and Crawfords and the Murphys um, families and their, their contribution to the, the city. And then I take up the, the slack with the rest of it. Um, so there's a talk on uh, 18th century Cork, which is the one that's, that I've been running for a number of years and I still love doing. Um, talk on the pubs, talk on the development of the Cork in the, in the 19th century, um, all sorts of things. So it's a real kind of catch and gather them. Yes. Um, and it's all based on, on our own research. You know, we're not kind of just, you know, regurgitating stuff we've read elsewhere. This is all first-person research. So you, this, you, you won't get any better than, than this in terms of the, the uh, original research. And the big hoopla and the massive occasion that was the Cork International Obi- uh, Exhibitions. There, there was more than one, yeah, I, yeah. I think, wasn't there? Yeah. 
That's right. I still like talking about that. And every time I talk about it, I just see people with their mouths open, just flabbergasted at the ambition uh, and the energy of the Cork population and local government and everybody stepping in. I think we had 1.9 million visits to the 1902 exhibition. 1.9 million. The irony on that is not lost on me, you know, that um, the Cork International Exhibition... you know, at the Cork Exhibition, the exhibition um, conference centre that they've been talking about since 2006. Uh, I don't think that's Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I, I, I get that. I but it's a different, different kind of thing. It's a different kind of thing because it's a permanent structure and it's a more complicated thing. But there was a real kind of can do attitude in the early 20th century. In the 1920s and 30s in Cork, you know, um, people got together, got stuff done. It was very, very kind of heartwarming and encouraging to, to learn about it. You, no, I mean, I don't mean to be like, overly critical, but in 1902 and 1903, we had the Cork International Exhibitions and millions of people came oh. to see it. And in 2023, we couldn't organise a family switch on of the, of the Christmas lights, you know? Ah, uh, your, your health and safety there. Do you know, the fairness now, the Edwardians didn't do much with health and safety. People were kind of left to their own devices. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, uh, nobody died or was injured at the exhibition, were they? One point nine. There was one poor man, but he had drink taken. He fell off something that he shouldn't have been on. Well, so, I, mean, um, yeah. I rest my case then when it comes to health and safety. Yeah. Sometimes, so you do the burning of cork as well. Uh-huh, that's right, yeah. You'd have um, to, because it was a, such a huge, iconic event. Indeed, indeed. And, 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 and still, it shapes much of the city centre. Like, when you walk down Patrick Street, basically everything from Roaches down towards Burger King, I mean, that's all, almost all of it is, is, is post-fire. And then if you cross the river towards the city hall, obviously that's brand new, the city library on... I say brand new, I mean post-fire, and then the city library on, on Grand Parade. So there's a, there's a long-lasting legacy, and it's a positive, actually, I have to, positive legacy of what was built afterwards. Obviously, the legacy of the fire itself is not positive, yeah, but yeah, what yeah. came later was, yeah. you know. What is the Ring of Black Rock? There's a talk on that. What's that about? Ah, yes. Well, um, Dermot did a book a couple of years ago, a number of years ago, where he basically, um, inspired by kind of the Ring of Kerry, sort of obviously on a tiny, tiny scale, he walked he walked the Mahan Peninsula. Um, so that well-known walk out along the, the shoreline and then back in by the railway line. Um, so he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a local resident, and basically he had he kind of looked into the, the history of his, his neighbourhood in great detail. And uh, there's all sorts of interesting things. So obviously there's well known stuff like Blackrock Castle uh, and, um, the, and the, the fishing in, in Blackrock Harbour. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But then there's the, the, the trams, there's the railways, there's the local people, the, 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 the fancy highfalutin people and the, and the local, you know, less well-off people. So all that comes into, into, into his tour of, of Blackrock. And, and seeing as we're doing it at Ashton School, which is basically in the same parish, quite a lot of local people will be interested in the, in the history of that area. So okay. uh, that's what that's about. Okay, so yeah. it runs on, on Tuesday nights and it starts on the 30th of January. Lads, if you, you love and you're interested in your city and wonderful stories backed up with uh, videos and slides and photographs and everything, it kicks off on the 30th of January. But it's on the ashtonadulteducation.ie website, isn't it? That's correct, ashtoneducation.ie, um, and then if you look on that, you look at the courses, look for Tuesday night, and there we are, a glimpse of Old Cork. 
and uh, we welcome anybody who wants to come along. Okay, I'll see you there. Looking forward to getting back and checking in again on our on our beautiful, beautiful city. Can I can I just leave you on this? Liam O'Higgin, the Cork historian, says, "Lovely listening to Tom." Don't forget about Johnson and Perrots, who were on Emmett Place in the 1700s. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, very good. Well done, Liam. That's a great one. Yeah, I think they're um, 1807. I mean, very early 19th century. But yeah, they probably go back even further than that. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And well he done. does pick up on well your done. point about the Gateway Pub. He reckons it's probably older than the other two, in and around 17, oh. 1698, he says. Just... Yeah, that's the date I've seen. Um, I would love to see the, the, the title deeds and the backup, the information for that, because we're going a long way back. But uh, yeah, that's that's the, uh, the, the that's, that's, that's that's very helpful as well. Okay, okay. okay. Listen, uh, there are places available, obviously. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about this. But I'd encourage people to book early. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And then we'll uh, we'll take it from there. Okay, my friend. Look after yourself. Tom Spaulding, best of luck with that. Starts on the 30th of January. You will love it. If you're interested at all, you will look forward to every Monday night, just like I have done in the past. Tom Spaulding uh, with Jason Byrne uh, and indeed uh, Dermot Odrishkio, um, all wonderful guys who love their city. Text 0868104106 for all of the business to register for the course. It's the Ashton Education website. Back after the break. Call Neil now. 0818-104-106. I love this. We were asking online, what old Cork businesses are you supporting and how long has it been there? We were talking considering the recent closure of the Tung Sing after 30 years. Shandon Sweet's still going strong with the up and downs in between, with some up and downs in between after 95 years. Thanks to the people of Cork and beyond for all of the, all of the support. So that's the Lenahan's getting in touch with us. Uh, Mary's Chemist on the North Main Street. Does it have to be Cork City? Hurley's Super Value and East Cork Oil. Wiser Recycling down in Middleton. Well, we, we were talking about the city, but no disrespect to the satellite towns. We'll be celebrating 35 years in business at Kelly's Restaurant on Alfred Plunkett Street and still going strong. Yes, but before you, there was many, many more than 35 years where Kelly's was a restaurant. Aren't I right? Come back to me and tell me how far back it goes. I believe at one stage it was a coaching hotel. Um, anyway, Mercia Press, Ireland's oldest independent publishers, was founded in 1944 by my grandparents and we're still going strong, says Cloda. Fitzgerald's menswear were proudly on Patrick Street since 1860. Lovely responses to this. Uh, Clifford's on Shandon Street. It's now a centra, but has the same name as the owners and it goes way back. Surely it would be Dunn Stores. Yeah, possibly one of the older ones on Patrick Street since the 1920s. Catherine, Kathleen Noonan's stall in the English market is there 60 years, set up by my grandmother. My mother Vicky worked there before setting up her own shop in Turner's Cross. My aunt Pauline still runs the stall in the market, says Edwin McNally. So that's going back over 60 years. McMurphy's on the North Main Street. All of the country people got dressed there. Such was the service that I went back there to get my clothes after a 25-year break. The best of all was the service. It will never be matched by the large outlets. So keep those coming. There's those and lots more besides. But there's one last bit of business. I want to refer back to a topic that I dealt with earlier in the week. I was telling about rage rooms. Growing in popularity women primarily um, going in to smash things up. They were saying in the mirror during the week that it was good to do, it could have to do with women going through divorce or divorce proceedings or the breakup of a relationship and they, they want to just go in and smash things up. I did read an, an article in the Examiner online yesterday. Can't remember who wrote it, but she, it's a woman who goes down and she rages and roars at the sea and she finds it really therapeutic, literally screaming out to sea. 
I think she started a club of people who go to the shoreline and roar and scream at the sea. Might be good to track that lady down. But anyway, enough of me. John Lundy actually owns a rage room in Cork. He's also got the American Axe Throwing and Smash Club. So the Smash Club, I guess, is the rage room, if you like. And he joins me by phone. Morning, John. Good morning. So how long are you open? Uh, well, we've been open as an axe throwing club on French Church Street for over two years now. But just in the last few weeks, we've opened a rage room at the same location on French Church Street. Okay, so what what happens at the rage room, a.k.a. Um, Smash Club, and, and, and who are your clientele? Well, it's, a, it's an individual room that you go into um, where you uh, can basically take out your frustrations with a fiberglass pick hand, handle on a car door or a steel barrel. Uh, and adjacent to that room, we have a, an observation room so your family and friends can stay in there and, and watch you while you're beating on stuff and, and uh, cheer you on. Because when, when I was looking at them and saw the video of them, there you can, you, you can go into one of the rage rooms and you can smash up crockery or you can smash up garden gnomes. They're very popular smash up with, uh, you know, some kind of a lump hammer, old printers or, or television sets and stuff like that. Is, is that. This is the frustration that people take out on, on this, these kind of, like, garden gnomes are supposedly very popular. <laughs> uh, the issue we had with that was as soon as you uh, involve anything made of glass, little bits of glass can get everywhere. And uh, given the litigious nature of Irish society, we try to avoid that which is why we put car doors with the windows already broken out and steel barrels in there. So you can beat on them all day long, but you're not going to get a piece of glass in your eye. Do people get suited up for the occasion? Oh, no, naturally, yeah. They have to wear um, heavy-duty work gloves and a pair of ski goggles just to make sure nothing gets in the eye, uh, but nothing beyond that. Okay. Uh, how long can you go in and have a smashing great time? <laughs> well, our, our sessions are uh, set for 15 minutes each, but rarely do people make it to 10 because by five minutes their hands are tingling and their arms feel like jelly. But uh, the sessions that you pay for are 15 minutes uh, uh, each. Okay, what what will that set me back, 15 minutes taking it out on a car bonnet? (laughs) 25 euros for 15 minutes. And who are your clientele? Well, so far we've uh, had an interesting phenomenon. Uh, The... We've been open the past few weeks, and I would say 95% of our clientele are young women, women in their tw- 20s and 30s. There's only been only been a few men who've actually come in. Okay. Okay. Are, are, they, are they using it as an alternative to going to the gym, or are they taking their frustrations <laughs> out for something? No, I think it's the frustration things. Um, I, what gave me some insight into this is about a month ago, we had a number of ladies come into the axe throwing facility with a bunch of pictures of a man, and they were having a divorce party. And they take <laughs> the pictures up to the wall, and they spend an hour shredding the pictures of, of his cheating ass, as they kept calling it. <laughs> and so uh, I think were that's they, the Were they throwing axes at his cheating ass? Yes, that's exactly what they were doing, yeah. So I think they're doing the same thing here. They're coming in and, and pounding on these car doors and barrels and everything just to get out their frustration. Do they scream um, while they're doing it? Is it like a scream room oh. as well? Well, they can. They don't have to. But, yeah, they do actually a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
I watched a video out of Canada where they were smashing plates, pictures, vases, wine glasses, chairs, printers, and they were being charged even by, you could get, I don't know, was it, you could get five plates to smash for five bucks or something like that. And it was like, it was almost like ordering off a menu, you know. Yeah, sure. And then you could uh, you can buy more for a euro a piece. It's a great way to make money, but uh, <laughs> ours, ours is in ours. Uh, our situation is an all-in price. You pay your twenty-five euros for the fifteen-minute session, and you're free to beat on the car doors and the steel barrels uh, to your heart's content. Let me just go back to the axe throwing, if you don't mind. I can't get the picture of this guy's face up on the wall and the throwing. Do, do the axes actually connect and stick? I mean, it's all very well throwing oh, yeah. it, but like they could just bounce off. Do they, are they good at it? Uh, well, people usually go through three stages. The first five minutes or so, they're not very good at all. But after about five minutes, they start to get very accurate. And by the, the end of a half an hour or an hour axe throwing session, uh, they become fairly deadly. They could yeah. <laughs> And do they come out relaxed and happy and at peace with themselves? It's uh, the way I usually describe it is it's like uh, going to confession and having a nice hot shower. You you come out feeling like a newborn baby. You, you come out it's, it's a very very cathartic experience. <laughs> Can I send some people down there, John Lundy? Oh, we'd love you to. Sure, anytime. <laughs> We're open uh, Wednesdays through Sunday uh, on French Church Street, right between Nando's and Bunsenberger. Okay, so if I send a, a couple of people down there, might even pop down with the lads myself and maybe tape it up and get some audio from it. You're okay with that, are you? Absolutely, we'd be happy to entertain you anytime you come down here. And is it true that your wife said you asked your wife why are nineteen out of the twenty people recently women, and she said <laughs> it had to do with Christmas, did it? <laughs> She, uh, she said, uh, she mentioned, what exactly is it that you think Irish men do at Christmas time? They show up, eat turkey, and get drunk. Everything else is a woman's responsibility. <laughs> I take a great insult from that comment, actually. I think there's a plenty, plenty of us get stuck in in the work. <laughs> I cooked, yeah. tell your wife, I cooked the turkey, and I didn't get drunk. <laughs> I want to go down there and smash things up. <laughs> There you go. We've... Anyway, listen, I'm out of time. We'll hook up again in the coming weeks and I'll send some people your way, okay? Ten, uh, tell people to check us out at American Axe Throwing uh, online and they can make their reservations and bookings online and we'd be happy to see you anytime, Neil. All right, take care, John, for now. It's uh, 25 euro for a session. You can book directly yourself online. American Axe Throwing online. They're down at French Church Street and they also have the Smash Room, the Rage Room. Uh, we open our phone lines for that now or keep it to tomorrow. Let's give away Let's give away a pair now and do another pair maybe tomorrow. Pick up, uh, uh, pick up the phone line and get dialing. We'll take caller 9 0818 Lads, I'm over time as well. I'm rushing as usual so we'll pick up the conversation in the morning. Have yourselves a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters.